Okay, thank you. Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning we have with us a very special guest, an honored guest, <laughs> my you. former student, Sam, Samra Dracevic, right? Is that how you say that's your last right. name? That's right. That's right. It's yes, been a while. You. Yeah. It's been a while, but it's really, really nice to see you. And I, uh, I really mean this. As I said, my dear professor, one of the best professors I've ever had in my life, and mm. definitely a professor that changed my my course of thinking, you know, in many ways. So wow. it's really nice, nice to be here. Thank you for the invite. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's a high compliment coming from you because I have a lot of respect for you. Thank you, you so much. Thank you, you. Because I know some of of what you've gone through in your life. Uh, and, and you're one of my older students. Mm -hmm. when, when you came through uh, Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, <clears throat> you were, I want to say you were in your late 20s or 30, maybe? I was actually, that's right. I was in my late 20s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. that's true. So that's true. I didn't make that up. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Um, so you had some years on, on your colleagues there at Loyola Marymount sitting in the class. What class was it? Was it philosophy of human nature? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Morning. I want to I say Early it was morning. like philosophy 116. If I yeah. remember the number correctly, That's right. something like that. Uh -huh. That's right. Yes. It was called mm -hmm. philosophy of human nature. Mm -hmm. um, they've since changed it. They got rid of philosophy of human nature at Loyola. Don't ask me why they did that. But um, it's really good to see you. You're still in Los Angeles? I am. I am still uh -huh. in Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Not so far from LMU, actually. Pretty close That's to LMU. Okay, so you're still there. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm still here. Uh -huh. I am... Um, but, but it's interesting what you said earlier, you know, kind of speaking a little bit, speaking about age, you know, because mm -hmm. I think, yeah. um, honestly, I think the whole LMU experience was, was an amazing experience for me on so many different levels, you know, and I think one of the main reasons is that, yes, I was a bit older, um, among other students who were pretty young, you know, uh, most of them, I would say in the classroom would were like, I don't know, 19, 20, 21, pretty young. And that actually made me feel really grateful that I mm. went to, or I shouldn't say went to college at that age, but that I was able to go to college at that age, because I think I had a much, much greater appreciation for all these classes. And I feel like for me personally, there was a greater sense of urgency, like every single class, I wanted to absorb everything I could, because it just felt so important to me, because I think now that I think back to it, I think that was sort of the beginning of a phase in my life where I started to become really, really aware of time and the importance of not wasting your time and the importance of really knowing what you want, where you're headed, and really appreciating, uh, you know, in terms of that experience, the knowledge and just, I, I was super, super happy about that experience, you know, and then also, 
feeling like, oh my God, I'm at Loyola Marymount University. To me, that was like such a dream school, you know, not only because the campus is super gorgeous, but also I felt very, honestly, very, very blessed to be there. And just like, it's almost, for me, it felt like, like a once in a lifetime opportunity, right? Now you did mention like, oh, you know, a little bit about me, maybe for your viewers, for your listeners, I could just kind of um, quickly sure. mentioned that I was born in former Yugoslavia, Montenegro, specifically, in a small village in Montenegro. I am. That's your. Albanian. That's what your accent is. I because I, I thought it was New York. I thought it was Queens. Oh Queen. no. Uh, I'm no. kidding. I'm kidding. I'm no. giving you a heart. <laughs> <laughs> However, I do have family in Queens, so. Oh so, shoot! Know. I should have picked yeah, Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, I have many, many family uh, members in Queens, actually, but I was born in uh, Mm -hmm. a small village in Montenegro. And if we're going to get very technical, I am Albanian by nationality. And then at a young age, my family and I moved to Sweden. And so I grew up in Sweden. And then later on, I came to L.A., uh, mostly because I wanted to go to school. I always wanted to go to school in America. There was just something about America that really appealed uh, to me. So maybe coming from that perspective, I just felt like I saw Loyola as this, I don't know, incredible place and this incredible opportunity. I just couldn't believe that I was there, you know? Mm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a beautiful campus. Mm-hmm. Um. I oftentimes compared it to Pepperdine because I was going up between Pepperdine and, and Loyola for over a decade on PCH. <clears throat> have you ever been to Pepperdine's campus? I have actually. I was, I was almost, I almost uh, applied for one of their master programs there, mm-hmm. but um, I just, it, it never happened. I yeah. kind of changed my mind last minute, but yeah, I've, I've been there. I've been to their campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a delightful campus. I've had a lot of time to do deep work on that campus, walk around in my thoughts by myself, looking for owls. Um, <laughs> and I've done the same thing at Loyola Marymount. Um, mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> we had an early morning class. It was uh, what eight o'clock, nine something. Which one were you in? I. Th- think i could be wrong but i want to say maybe around 10 ish 11 ish maybe uh, all right okay all or right. maybe maybe wrong. maybe could be could be it was in the morning definitely because mm-hmm. I, I i always taught the mornings there mm-hmm. no one else wanted those classes so it was an easy way for me to ensure my own employability because <laughs> no one wants to teach those 8 a.m classes um but yeah you were um a delightful student to have and when i when I found out about your background as an immigrant and from Yugoslavia, I didn't know anything about Yugoslavia besides roughly where it was. I knew it was on the Eastern side of, isn't the Adriatic sea, right? That's right. Off of Italy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have that right. Um, Former Soviet bloc country. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Did you grow up speaking Russian? Uh, no, actually, too, uh, no, I, I did not grow up uh, speaking Russian. However, had I continued to go to school there at some point, uh, learning Russian would have been sort of mandatory. Okay. So, for example, my mom, um, 
had to learn Russian in school, mm. uh, you know, so, so that was more, more for my parents gotcha. and also for my generation. <clears throat> but like I said, we left when I had just started fourth grade. So I didn't get to that yeah. particular grade where it's required that you study Russian, unfortunately, because I, I really love the Russian language. But what is your mother tongue? Uh, well, uh, like I said, you know, in, in my, in this small Albanian. village, in this small village, we spoke Albanian and Serbo-Croatian. Let, let me call it Serbo-Croatian, although it's a little bit controversial. Some people prefer to call it Montenegrin. Some people prefer to call it Serbian. I'll okay. just call it Serbo-Croatian to keep it simple. Yes. So these are the two, I would say, uh, languages that I grew up with uh, in the, in the household. And so both were taught, both were spoken by your parents in the household when you grow up, not by, not by my mom, because my mom, uh, doesn't speak the language. She understand, she understands Albanian, but she doesn't speak it. Uh, so it was kind of a mostly between, I would say my grandfather and my father and my uncles and my father, my mm-hmm. aunts and my father, yes. Mm-hmm. And which language are they similar, or are they totally different? No, no, they're not. So speaking <laughs> oh, of Russian, I go. would compare, I would compare Serbo-Croatian more to Russian because it's a Slavic language. So it's, it's very similar to Russian, which is why I can understand some of Russian. There are many similar words. Uh, in the Russian language. Albanian is, I truly can't think of another language that I know that I can compare Albanian to because it's a, it's a very unique, unique language. It's an Indo-European language. And so it's very, very different from Serbo-Croatian. I would say they have truly nothing in common in that sense. So they're two completely different languages. Mm-hmm. What's Indo-European mean? What's the Indo part? that's a good question i think it just means that uh, i could be wrong but i think that it uh, or historically originated from like the the indian part of like the the part indian part of the world uh, i could mm-hmm. be wrong but i think that's that's sort of sort of what it means gotcha uh, mm-hmm. gotcha okay so somehow that has something to do with European languages. It's mysterious to me because German seems so different than the Romance languages. True, but then again, <clears throat> German is a Germanic language, so it's very similar to Swedish. Uh, okay. I don't want to say very similar to Swedish, but it definitely has, uh, it's similar to Swedish, Danish. To Norwegian, Danish, for mm. sure. For sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, you are multilingual. And mm-hmm. does that help you learn other languages? Because you were multilingual as a kid? You know, my students ask me this a lot, too. And I think it's a I think it's a good and it's an interesting question. But I don't know. I think it's definitely a benefit. If you grew up, if you were exposed to different languages growing up, it certainly helps to learn other languages. But I also think at the end of the day, you have to have a certain curiosity and a certain, uh, just, you know, 
willingness to learn languages, you know, and I think curiosity, uh, if you, if you sort of analyze polyglots, uh, which I, which I've done, I mean, there are amazing videos on YouTube of just different polyglots from different parts of the world. And I feel like all of them tend to have uh, one thing in common, which is, oh, I'm really curious about uh, what that language sounds like, what it means. Yeah. I want to know how to express myself in that language. So I think that's, that's a must in many, in, in yeah. most situations, sure. if you really want to uh, learn a bunch of other languages. And I think I've always had that curiosity about other languages. I just mm -hmm. always want to know what does that mean? Which honestly today, for example, is it's almost impossible for me to watch a movie that's, I don't know, let's say if I, if I were to watch a movie that's in Korean, because I don't speak Korean, and then there are English subtitles, obviously, because that's the only way for me to, to, to be able to watch the movie and understand it. I won't be able to finish the movie because I find myself constantly paying attention to what they're saying. And then I want to know like, oh, okay, so is that how you say this? Is that how you say right. that? So instead of paying attention to the movie or the show, I'll actually focus on what they're saying in the subtitles. So mm -hmm. I think there's that yeah. innate curiosity about languages that, right. that got, got me really interested in languages. Yeah, there's a there's a professor at Loyola Marymount in the philosophy department named Jason Bear, and mm -hmm. uh, his last name is spelled B A E H R, mm -hmm. and he has written a book called, um, oh crap, what's it called? It's on what you're talking about, intellectual virtue, and he says curiosity is a key part of that. It's a key aspect of learning. So you're here conversing with us in English. You watch a Korean movie, you watch the English subtitles. Which number of language is, is English for you? Because you speak English better than a lot of my students. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's their only language. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, well, a lot of my uh, students would not know what the word polyglot means, for example. I, I don't think I ever hear that term from, from people. Well, uh, I think which number that is this? Is this four for you? you? Uh, well, it would be it would be four, yes, because okay. you know Serbo-Croatian, Albanian, and then Sweden, Swedish, and then English was after Swedish. So yes, it you're would four, be four. You're talking to us in your fourth language. Yes. Wow, yes. that gives a sense of your your uh, your talent and your curiosity. Thank how's you. how's your Swedish? Oh, it's, I mean, it's, I'm fluent in Swedish, of course, because I, I grew up there. I went mm -hmm. to school there. I wow. finished high school there. I have family there, friends. And so I use it on a daily basis when I speak to family. So yeah, I am, I am fluent uh, in Swedish. Uh, but see, uh, if I may just kind of add maybe a few more things that could be interesting in terms sure. of the English language, you Please. know, you know, uh, coming from Europe, I think, especially coming from Eastern Europe originally, I think we grew up with this deep fascination with the United States of America. And so I'm saying that like 
the United States of America. I think that was always such a magical word to us. I remember growing up, like all the great things, all the amazing things, all the, all the, th all the unheard of things always came from America. And so can you give an example, give a few examples of the sure. unheard of things so that we have an idea of what you sure, mean? Sure, sure. It may sound a little silly, but I'll give you a, a perfect example. As I mentioned earlier, I have a family in Queens. I have family in different parts of the United States. And so before I ever set foot on the American soil, so to speak, they had already lived here for years raised their families, you know, had their jobs here and so on. However, they would uh, come to see us, come to see family in our small village almost every summer, I would say, if not every summer, every other summer. And so some of my first- From New York. They would yes, come from New Oh, wow. That's from big... New York, from California, from- Detroit, you know, different, different parts of the US, but I would say mostly New York and California. And so one of my earliest memories was them arriving with all these suitcases, you know, and I know I always knew that there would be some like amazing toys, or like, for example, rollerblades. I remember that was my first time seeing rollerblades when they brought rollerblades from the United States. Wow. And, it was like the coolest, coolest thing, you know, and I mean, I kind of don't want to give the wrong impression. It's not like in my village, we were somehow like closed off from the world and we had never seen rollerblades. No, but it was just so special coming from the United States. And it's funny because I recently caught up with one of my childhood friends. We both were are born and raised in the same village. And we were talking, we were reminiscing specifically about this. And then she said, do you remember this, how these clothes smelled? Like, the, I remember that, like that American smell. It was this, the There's clothes an smelled smell. so good. Wow. And it <laughs> was a good smell? <laughs> yeah, the clothes smelled so good. The New so York good. smell was good. Wow. <laughs> you know, we were like, wow. So, so wow. those were kind of my earliest. We have small towns here too, but it's. I, I, I get a sense of what you're saying. I mean, there's we have small rural towns here. It's not quite like what you're talking about. What year was that going to be like the, the the year that you saw rollerblades? I would so we get it say late 80s, probably maybe late like, 80s. Uh, oh, let's say good. 88, 87 during the Soviets mm -hmm. during mm -hmm. Soviets. Oh, mm -hmm. so you had a positive view of America during the Soviet Union. I, I yes, from my perspective, I absolutely did. And then was that I, discouraged uh, by any authorities that the communist authorities? You know what? I truly I don't remember that as a kid. So I you really were too little for that. I don't remember. I remember yeah. we were the wearing would have different memories. Maybe. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I I remember we would have to wear those. Um, of course, that was quite late in the Soviet. That was right before the fall of, of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. People had a diff maybe a different view at that point. Well, can you describe that smell for us? It, I, I don't know. I, it's hard I mean, to describe. It a smell, was but... just it was just like it smelled like really 
like brand new clothes, like mm. like that. It had that American Fresh. smell. I okay. can't exactly explain it. And we were literally cracking up just recently when I met up with my with my well, my friend, but really a cousin as well. Because mm. you see, in my village, we call everyone. I don't want to say we call everyone a cousin, but but somehow we are related, like very, very distantly, perhaps, but we still call each other cousins. So technically, that's my cousin, not yeah. in the terms that you sure. see a cousin here, yeah. you know, but or yeah. or view someone as your cousin here. Mm -hmm. But but anyway, we were re reminiscing on that. And that was one of the first things we were like, oh, my God, remember the smell, you know, and then right. I remember all the kids. So the, 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 let's call them the American kids, although technically they are American Albanian kids because they were born in America, but they grew up with these two cultures, right? So yeah. we always, I always thought like, oh my God, they were dressed nicely and I love that they could speak English. So I remember I was really fascinated by that at a super uh, young age, like, oh my God, I want to speak English too type of thing, you know? Do you, would you say that the word cousin, as you're using it, is uh, almost a synonym for neighbor? Actually, in that more, context, more like family, more like family. family. Okay. And and then what there's would... always that sense of respect that comes with that too, because somehow our uh, forefathers <laughs> were connected to each other. You know, maybe gotcha. it was my great, great grandfather, her great, great grandfather, you know, so did you so, have the same last names or, uh, or different names, different last names. Mm -hmm. But I mean, okay. if you actually look at the tribes, family tribes, you you mm. always find some kind of a connection. So yeah, I can give you an example, you know, growing up, my grandfather would always teach me like he would teach me, how do I say this in English? I'm not exactly sure, but he would teach me like, okay, our last name, but then uh, his father's great, fa great grandfather's last, like he was like, I had wow. to learn, <laughs> I had to learn their first and last name, first and last name, first and last name. And he would always test me, like, how far back can you go, you know? Mm. <laughs> so that was kind of a way to, keep that memory alive, wow. you know, that, oh, we are related to these people. We are related to these people. Gotcha. So maybe a fun fact. I don't know if I can just refresh my camera here real quick, because sometimes it gets blurry for some reason. I'm not sure. Um, so maybe a fun fact would be when time comes to get married in, in my village. Now, mind you, I'm talking about my childhood and many things have changed in my village as they have around the world, right? I haven't been back home in many, many years, but uh, growing up when families were becoming interested in, you know, maybe finding a husband for someone in their family or whatever, there was always a strong emphasis on you, you may, we can absolutely not be related, which as you listen to this, you're like, well, obviously you shouldn't be related to someone that you're married to. Yes, obviously. But in our case, it's like literally you got to go back, 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 back. Make sure that we have no relation at all, you know, because otherwise that's a family member, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. So, 
so yeah um yeah wow what's the name of your village uh, uh my village is called shipchanik shipchanik but then there's kind of a uh how do i say that there's there is also tuzi next to shipchanik and so tuzi is considered to be like a little bit like a bit, a bit bigger, you know, you can go and have a coffee there and, you know, uh, maybe buy your newspaper or something. Whereas Shipchanik, when I was growing up, was like this tiny, tiny, tiny little village, you know. Okay. I think we had one supermarket there, which opened up much, much <laughs> later. Uh, so very, very tiny village. When I was growing up there, mind you, I'm sure things sure. have changed now. Mm-hmm. I wrote out the phonetic uh, because I don't know how to spell it. And I mm-hmm. have a sense that if I knew how to spell it, I still wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily know how to say it, but uh, I just, can you spell it for us? Uh, is there a spelling uh, in English? Yes. Let's see if I can. So it would be like S H mm-hmm. no cussing on this program. Uh, <laughs> I see where you're, I know where you're trying to sneak in there. S H I P. Oh, then, P is in mm-hmm. toy. Yeah, uh, P, P as in Peter. P as Peter. in Peter. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. And then C H, mm-hmm. and then A N I K. Oh wow, that I was that was close to what I put. Cool. Okay. So maybe something to think about could be shit like a ship, ship in English, like oh, there's a ship. I see a ship. So it's like ship, ship, cha nik, ship cha cha, ship cha nik. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other one? The other one is T-U-Z-I. And you know, there is, oh, okay. I think. I think there is the, I think there's like the evening news or something on ABC or NBC or something like that. And they have, they have this host or whatever that's been with them for God knows how long. And it's like, good evening, everyone, Michelle Tuzi or something (laughs) like that. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that's my, that's the name of my, of my village. I will close to my village Tuzi. Yes. How (laughs) far was the Tuzi from your village to get a coffee and get a, get a newspaper walking distance, like 10 minutes, less than 10 minutes. That's not too bad. No, not And a a fast walk or a slow walk. Do people walk fast like New York or I would say, I would say, let's say somewhere in the middle, not too slow, not too fast and 10, 15 minutes. But then again, it depends how deep into the village you live. So if you, Mm. the further uh, into the village that you live, then, uh, you know, it's going to take you longer to walk. So actually it was pretty common for, if you just didn't feel like walking or if you, it was really hot, you could always just stop someone that was driving and they'll just pick you up and take you, you know? So, okay. um, yeah, that was pretty so people common. walk a lot there. When you, yeah. When yeah. Yeah. Back, especially back then people would walk and then pe- you also have to remember people have their, let's say their little farms with the animals and, mm-hmm. you know, their piece of land, they are, did they own the land oh yes they Mm -hmm. they owned it oh yes Mm -hmm. there was ownership in soviet union well uh 
Yeah, I mean, that's how I remember it. People own their land and, okay. you know, it's... It, that was very, what people said? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And very often, very often, um, it's like, uh, you know, the family owns it. So it might gotcha. be divided between three brothers or two brothers or whatever, you know. But yeah, I would say the family owns it. Yes. Gotcha. Uh -huh. So, you know, people had... There's their their farm, their animals, their you know vegetables. What kind of, what kind of animals? Well, I would say cows. Like for example, my grandma and grandpa had cows. Uh, some people had goats. Some people had sheep, chickens. You know, so in that sense, pretty similar. We would get, we would get you know, yeah. amazing food from directly from the cow directly. <laughs> From the sheep, the chickens, you know, that's you how had good I food remember. growing up. Good food. I would, I would say so. Yes. <laughs> you know, I always tell my students like our life was very simple, but I mm. think it was to me, it was amazing the way I remember uh, my childhood. Remember, I we left when I was 10 years old. So uh, when I had just turned 10. So, you know, I remember my childhood as very simple, but really, really amazing. I was always surrounded by family. Uh, we, everyone knew each other. You did not have to worry about your kids' safety. Um, I think there was also this sense of respect for older people, which I, I realize as I get older, I really, really appreciate. I think it's really important to have Funny that, how that sense works. of yeah. respect for older people and, you know, right. Uh -huh. I was going to ask you about the coffee and Tuesday, but as a nine-year-old, you probably never had coffee, right? Well, did I didn't. You ever have it? Okay. I didn't. But I mean, the 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 central point of getting together every morning, especially during the summer, I mean, was coffee drinking. So the neighbors really? would come over. Yeah, my grandma and grandpa, the house that we were living in. So we Is this were hot living, coffee. It's Turkish coffee. Oh, uh, so that's cold. It's hot and apparently it's, it's really strong to tell. Oh, you yeah, yeah. I've, I've had Turkish coffee. I've been to Turkey, so I've, I've been all over Turkey. I've, I've had that. Um, the, cl the climate. Uh, tell us about what the summer is like. Is it hot? You have it's the force. Uh, it's really hot. And then there's the chirping of I wish I knew the name in English. These little insects like like this every morning. Humid? I would no, it's usually dry heat, I would say. Dry heat, that's kind okay. of how I remember it. And then we have I, those, we have bugs similar to that in America in the South. Mm -hmm. uh, often on the East Coast, um, where it's humid. Um, you typically, I think of it the, the South. I think in the human areas, that's when you get most of that noise, the, that, that sound. It's like all night, actually, in the summertime. Actually, it's funny you say that because I, I, I can't think of the name of the movie right now, but I've, I've, I remember watching a few movies, American movies here in the United States that were filmed uh, in the South. And then I remember hearing Similar that sound. sound. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a reaction like, oh, my God, that reminds me of when I was a kid, that chirping sound like, ch -ch 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 -ch, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we were we were living together at the time, my mom, my dad, five kids, 
you know, we're living with my grandma, my grandpa, my grandpa's brother and his wife, my uncles, and then one of the uncles married with kids, his wife. So we were a huge family living together at the time. And then you have to remember that every day someone else would come over to visit, maybe my aunts, her kids. And so that's how I remember the house. The house was always full of life. And so going back to the whole coffee, coffee thing, especially in the summers, my grandmother's porch was almost like a, like a place where everyone would get together in the mornings, the neighbors would stop by, my mom would always wake up super early. And so they would drink coffee really early in the morning and just kind of talk to each other, you know, and that's what I, that's what I remember. That was always my, you know, my first introduction to coffee, like, hey, come over, let's have coffee. Hey, okay, I'm here, make coffee, you know. And by the way, that's another thing in my village at the time, you never really called ahead of time, like, hey, are, are you guys at home? You know, can we come over? People just kind of came over. And I, again, <laughs> the older I get, the, the bigger appreciation I have for that. You know, there was something really awesome about that. Just people coming over whenever and having coffee and hanging out, uh, I thought was really nice. What were the winters like? Winters like cold? Uh, mild? Well, 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 Snow? mild, I would say. Mm, occasionally, not very often. Uh, I would say probably, probably northern Montenegro would have much, th the winters for them would be rough, I would say, but uh, the southern part of Montenegro, I would say mild, mild. Now, hmm. my, rec my recollection of, of winters as a child are not like super, super strong, if I'm being honest with you, it, I, I tend to remember the summers more. Uh, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Was there a big difference in the seasons? Was it like, Oh, one day it's like, you can tell it's spring because the birds are chirping or. Well, yes, for sure. Yes. But also just family activities and like village gotcha. activities. That's how I remember it. Okay. Obviously everyone has their own memories and experiences, but that's how I would remember it. So for example, the fall, <laughs> was always I always remember it as like the ladies in the village getting together and like they started making different uh, different foods and maybe jam and things like that that we could that we could have throughout the winter you know so gotcha. that to me was always like okay fall is coming you know Th those that's kind of how I would how I would remember it or but, but yeah, the weather too, you had those fall colors and was just general, really cozy and beautiful, I would say. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the food was good. Can you give us a sense of this? Is it vegetarian food? Is it how much meat are you eating? Oh, Is no. It milk, I mean, there's, cheese, there's, <laughs> butter, bread? There's a lot of meat. Lot of meat. Uh, there's a lot of milk, uh, definitely cheese. You know, you have to remember, former Yugoslavia, there's a strong influence of that Mediterranean diet. So uh, yeah. olives, green olives, I love black that diet. olives, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually like that food. That sounds great. I and mean, it's, it's delicious. So you have this um, this picture of people coming over whenever, hanging out. Uh, that sounds like my childhood, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when I I have to ask this though. Mm-hmm. were people working a lot i mean what's their job situation like where <laughs> people could just come over and hang out and it doesn't distract you from your job? like where where are you not at work what are you working at home on zoom in the 80s oh no, my what? god no 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 definitely no zoom but remember as you said earlier hold on let me write that down no zoom uh-huh, no, zoom. <laughs> no zoom at that time but as you said earlier Pretty much everyone owned their land. Everyone owned their land, so it's not like you had to. It's not like you had to worry about your. But okay. Exactly. It's not like you have to worry about your mortgage or your, you know, payments in that sense, right? And then everyone has, and I'm, I'm actually really deeply thinking about it right now. I would say, everyone in the village had at least a cow and if they didn't have a cow then maybe their aunt had a cow or their grandma had a cow and so Mm. that's how you would get milk for example Mm -hmm. we i remember we planted our own vegetables uh some of the fruits now mind you that 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 doesn't mean we didn't go to the supermarket and buy you know vegetables and fruits sometimes or some milk how would you get the money though to do that Well, my dad, for example, in our case, my grandpa uh, and my dad and my uncles, I would say, actually, so they were part of this, uh, you know, our land we had, we were plant, we've had planted, you know, fruits and vegetables, and then they would spend a significant time through at a, during a certain season and they would sell go to different cities and sell those fruits and vegetables so they would be gone for i don't know two three weeks sometimes i would say because they were out there you know selling fruits vegetables that kind of stuff and so that was one source of income and then also my dad worked as a driving instructor so he was you know teaching uh, people had to drive. Uh, you know, my uncles also worked. They also had a job. So, you know, that's how we would support ourselves, you know. Um, and then, of course, you had your cousins and family in the U.S. who would always help out with money as well. They would send money to the family as well. And so that's how we would Um, you know, that's how we were living at the time, right? Um, To tell you the truth, women didn't work in the village. I would say most women didn't work. It was really common for the women to kind of be uh, home homemakers or housewives, as you would would say in English, kind of care for the family. So I want to be very specific with that. They did not work outside of yeah. the house but they, they didn't get paid for it in other words exactly. they they worked but they didn't get paid exactly for it. they worked insanely and they can't be hard. fired <laughs> exactly yeah so they worked cool. insanely hard in the house and you know with the kids and all of that which that's another thing i'm super grateful for you know because not what? not not a kid not all kids get to experience that feeling you know of coming yeah. home to that's a warm right. meal and mm-hmm so much care and so much love and you know so samurai you have 
you're a you're still a young woman <laughs> and you have these memories that are your memories mm-hmm. of the old world and i think that's how i would put it because <clears throat> you know i mean a lot of us in america have a european ancestry at least in our most recent ancestry depends on how far back you want to go of course but um you know the last several centuries i would say if you want to go back that far maybe the last millennia but you you experienced firsthand the way life was like for most people in europe for a long time many 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 centuries and probably in the middle east probably in africa probably in to some extent other places as well so you have this um, and it seems like it was a, ch- a happy childhood for you. you you've mentioned that it was before you were 10 you have these very wonderful memories of growing up in place of your home. honestly honestly i will forever view those years as my the happiest years of my life 100%, 100%. And uh, like I said, our life was simple. We were not, you know, rich people by any means in terms of money or anything like that. But I think it was that simplicity, that closeness to family, that constant interaction with family that just made it so wonderful, like wonderful, truly, truly. And my mom is from she's from the city, you know, so I, my mom's dad passed away when she was relatively young. So I never got to meet my uh, maternal grandfather, but I did get to meet my maternal grandmother. And she was also very present in our lives, even though she lived in the city, she would come over a lot. She would bring, you know, her bags from the city with with goodies, you know, and, and, and candy and la la la. And she would come over often. And so she was also, so were my mom's brothers, my uncles were a very strong presence in our life when I was a kid. So I remember that time as always being surrounded by family, by loved ones, by just really, a really, really, really nice time, you know? And then, as you may remember, that was all just abruptly kind of stopped uh, shortly after I turned 10 because yeah. what happened were, when you turned 10? Well, things were becoming increasingly unstable in former Yugoslavia. And so uh, my dad, so, so they were trying to draft as many men as possible to the military, even even if it wasn't like, oh, yeah, we're going to for sure send you to the military. It was like, well, you should be in the reserves, you know, just in case we need to send you uh, to the military. And so my dad was one of those people that, you know, did not want to go to the military. He did not want to he did, to put it in simple terms, he did not feel like it was worth putting his li- his life on the line. Um, to fight uh, for that 
type of a government at the time, you know. Who would so, he who would he be fighting for? Well, my then, dad is um, if he was in the military. My dad just didn't, you know, he yeah, he did not feel like he, first of all, my dad had a really who would strong, he be fighting against? <laughs> well, he would be fighting against it's so complicated, the whole thing with former Yugoslavia, you know, yeah, on sorry. on the nationalistic perspective on the religious perspective so it became super super complicated you know all of a sudden uh people who were neighbors you know were no longer like okay well now there's that nationalistic barrier between us there's that religious barrier between us maybe we can't have that relationship anymore that we used to have during uh you know former yugoslavia or yugoslavia or whatever you know so um who would he be fighting for well it depends you know would he be fighting for the serbs would he be fighting for the montenegrinians would he be fighting for uh you know etc etc so if you remember at the beginning of of this conversation when you asked me which language did you grow up i mean which languages were spoken in your in your household I call it Serbo-Croatian. That's just the name I stick with because that's the name I grew up with. But today, even just naming a language for former Yugoslavia has become this like super annoyingly complicated thing, which is like, well, we're from Montenegro, so we speak Montenegrin. And we're from Croatia, and we speak Croatian. And we're from Bosnia, and we speak Bosnian. And we're from Serbia, and we speak Serbian. Essentially, if you ask me, it's the same exact language. It's just a different dialect, a different accent, if you will. So okay. imagine saying like, oh, I speak Texan and you speak Californian and you speak New York, and which, yes, there are different accents. We do have the Southern accent. I get that. Right. But essentially, it's English. Essentially, it's English. So the grammar is the same. Exactly. The spelling is the same. Exactly. So to go back to, you know, who would he be fighting for? Uh, that's a really gotcha. complicated question, you know, but let's just put it this way. He did not want to be a part of that fight because he did not feel like it was worth uh, putting gotcha. your life on the line and putting, you know, your the life of your family and loved ones on the line, you know. So that's kind of how we decided to leave uh, Montenegro. And you just so, you just mentioned, I don't know, four different groups: the Albanians, the Serbians, the Croatians, and the Montenegrins. Mm-hmm, Bosnians. Uh, oh, Bosnians! Yeah. So there's and, five groups. And by the way, by the way, when <laughs> am we, I counting we were, that correctly? Is it five? Yes. Yes. Well, Macedonians too were part of former Yugoslavia, I believe. Macedonian. Yes. Um, you didn't even mention them yet. So uh, Aristotle. So, so remember, like, yeah. Speaking of the language, I remember as a kid, people would say, "Oh, I speak Yugoslavian." Yugoslavian. That was like totally okay to say. I remember it like that as a kid, you know, but. You don't do that anymore, obviously, you know, so. Um, so well, yeah. I'm glad it's not just me because I really don't do that either. But actually for a different reason, because I I'm, didn't know anything about this until you said. <laughs> but, you know, you have this very interesting, complicated political background <clears throat> as a kid. Did you understand all these little groups and, 
And do you know, did you think that it was complicated when you were a kid? Not at all. Not at all. I didn't understand any of this. And that's honestly why I think uh, later, later, later on in my life, having a class like the one that I had with you was so extremely meaningful to me because I feel like that's when I was introduced uh, to a whole new way of thinking because I never really thought about these things as a kid, you know, and also the, the four years of schooling that I got in former Yugoslavia in my very tiny little village was very militant. That's how I remember it. It was oh. super militant. You know, you don't talk again. You don't speak back to, you don't talk back to your professor, to your teacher. You don't go against your teacher. You don't question your teacher. Not that, not that you're going to question your teacher that much at that age anyway, but I think that was kind of the general uh, atmosphere in terms of education. I remember it being very militant. Uh, honestly, it was very militant. And also the way that knowledge was given to us. And then the way we were reciprocating knowledge back to our teachers was super militant. I remember, like every time you had to answer a question like you, I remember we had to like lift our like, like, like this, you know, we had to like, it was very like this and then stand up and say your answer and sit down and if you disobeyed in any way you know it wasn't unusual at all for the teacher to like you know like hit us on the hands or something like that like thank god that never happened to me but it happened to my classmates you know because they got a bad grade or they didn't do their homework or you know so That's, wow. that was that was not uh, it was very militant. But had you asked me at that age, hey, Samra, how do you like this teaching style or whatever? Obviously, I wouldn't be able to be like, oh, I don't like it or it's militant. It's something that I realized later on in life, especially since we ended up applying for political asylum, essentially, in Sweden. And so there I was introduced to a whole new way of schooling which was more like the teacher asks you questions and wants to know what you think. And, um, and wow. then when I moved to the US, I was introduced to like, uh, what is that called? A multiple choice, <laughs> <laughs> multiple choice answers, you yeah. know, like fill in ABC. You know they didn't I mean? have that, that in uh, Sweden? <laughs> Honestly, not that I can remember. It's truly, I, I was okay. always like, asking you a question and then you have to actually it resembled very much the way you would test us you know you would ask us kind of a broad question and then here's your space and tell me about it you know express your opinions about it that's the style that i remember from sweden now maybe i just don't remember the the fill in the blank i mean fill in the whatever abc but i don't remember honestly having that in sweden or being introduced to that in sweden it was very like critical thinking uh being introduced to all kinds of top subjects and some of them i remember were really uncomfortable to me at first because of my background you know like what like questioning the god 
the existence of God. I remember feeling in really... school. They said that they they were trying to get you to question the existence well, of God. Well, yeah, just kind of uh, talking about religion. You know, really talking about about the possibility. Was this public school? Oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. So we religion to... was not off topic in public school. In not at all. I don't think any subject was off topic. In if I remember it correctly, yeah. But what a concept. Yeah, no, not at all. So we would talk yeah. about politics we would talk really? about religion we would talk about all kinds of things and <clears throat> i guess i didn't realize and, and what age are you at this time uh third 14 15 14, maybe 15, maybe this would be a good time to step back and give a big picture so people can keep up with what's happening you mm -hmm. have a very interesting childhood wonderful childhood for you uh in the village that you grew up in, the villages that you mentioned, old world, old school, European type of life, rural. Uh, you got cows, you got chickens, you've got a small town, simple life, lots of walking, people just hanging out with each other, doing their work, small farms, <clears throat> and then war comes. And there's division and strife in that area that go back a long time and you're 10. And then what happens when you're 10? What you, you go where exactly? Okay. Leave so Montenegro? we leave Montenegro and I want to be 10. very clear. We leave Montenegro very abruptly. So I've gone back to this memory many times. This is how I remember it. I remember my dad picking me up from school, which was really weird because my dad, nobody picked us up from school, really, uh, except for when we were in kindergarten, someone would come and pick us up and just take us home. But, but when you were like second, third, fourth grade, you would walk home with all your friends. We all lived in the same village. So, I mean, we would just walk home together. We would go to school together. School was located, I would say, less than 10 minutes from my grandmother's house. So it was a walking distance. We would walk together. My dad picked me up from school. And I remember thinking that was weird, kind of like, OK. And so I don't think if I remember this correctly, I don't think I I finished that day at school. I think I was just kind of picked up. My dad took us home, took me home. In a and car? Then in a in truck? the car. Yes, he drove truck. us in the car. And then when we got home, I remember all these family members on the porch, that same porch where they would sit and hang out and drink coffee or whatever. Everyone was just like sad and crying. And, you know, uh, my mom had these, lug like one or two small luggages something like that and then everyone was just saying goodbye and then we were at this train station i'm sorry no we went to my grandmother's house my maternal grandmother's house in the city just to say bye and same thing there everyone was sad everyone was crying and i specifically remember this sentence being said uh being the uh, due to the fact that my youngest sister was only four months old at the time, I remember someone saying at my grandma's, I was like, oh, thank God she doesn't know what's going on. 
like, thank God she's not old enough to know what's going on. So honestly, that's how I remember it. You know, now, if someone were to play the actual footage of what really, really happened, maybe I would, oh, yeah, that too. And but that's kind of how I remember it. And then that same evening, we were at a train station, we were on a train headed to Serbia to my uncle's house, my mom's brother's house. And then we were there for a day or two, if I remember correctly. And then from there, we went to a cousin's house in Slovakia. Okay, so back then it was known as Czechoslovakia. Now it's known as Slovakia. And so that's how we ended up in Slovakia. By train. And uh, yes, by train. And I remember... The, that, the idea you say it was, was a cousin's house again. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my that's that's that was my cousin's house. So he basically hosted how, all of us. And then I'm trying to think. How how long did it take for you to? Do you remember how long the train ride was roughly? I don't remember. I don't remember Days, any of that. Hours. I, okay. No, maybe probably overnight or something like that. Okay. Uh huh. And then. Um, and then I'm thinking, yes, my dad's brothers came with us as well. And one of them had his family with him too. But I don't remember if we actually took off together, all of us, or if they just kind of followed us shortly after. Honestly, I don't remember that part. I have to double check with my parents. But I think they came a little bit after and just kind of met up with us in Slovakia. But essentially, the point was, Let's stay in Slovakia for a little bit. Let's see what's going to happen with this whole situation. Because things were, things were boiling in former Yugoslavia. Like my dad's prediction was that there's going to be a really ugly war. But it was still kind of unclear. Okay, where is this going to be? Is it going to be in Montenegro? Is it going to be in Serbia? Is it going to be in Bosnia? Is it going to be in Croatia? So we were kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. Maybe this will just, you know, be over in a couple of months and we can return. But in fact, it just got worse and worse as time progressed. So we stayed in Slovakia for four months. And that's when my dad, my mom, and, you know, us as a family, we decided, okay, we're going to move on. We're going to go north because we also had family there. Cousins in Sweden, and so that's how we ended up in Sweden. My uncles actually ended up going back to Montenegro. They ended up returning to Montenegro. Um, how many and, people went to Slovakia with you? How many total? Well, I remember there were more than 12 people living in that okay. tiny little apartment. So I don't. Yeah, definitely over 10 people. That's for sure. That's well, there are already people living there, right? So it would have been. Um, nine people with you or 10 or uh, well it was so put it this way my mom and dad two mm -hmm. and their five kids so seven mm -hmm. and then again i don't know if our uncle met up with us later on gotcha. or you know but he came with his wife and two kids at the time and then my other uncle wasn't married at the time and so. you're living in a small apartment for oh four yeah months. one bedroom apartment a one bedroom apartment yes. Yeah. Is this in a big city in Slovakia? Where oh, is this yeah. Now? Yes. What's it's, the city? Uh, it's, it's in Bratislava. 
Can you That's spell the it? Name. Uh huh. B R B R A T I S Bratislava. Uh, S L A V A Bratislava. Mm -hmm. And that's a big city. Oh yeah, you big know city. Uh, big city big, life. Big okay. buildings, tall buildings. You know. Right. And that's not just because you're life. young that they're tall. It's no, they're not no. like really three stories. Or uh huh. Something. And also, okay. also, don't let the kids outside by oh. themselves. People. Don't let them play outside by themselves. Someone always has to be with you. How did you uh, live? How did you go to the bathroom? How did you have food? How did you well, cook? How do my, you do that? <laughs> my mom and my my aunt would cook for us, but to be honest, our cousin was providing with food and and supplies uh, because that's a lot of was, money. He was just yeah, really really nice guy, and he took good care of us. He he provided with food. How and did money. you sleep on the floor? on the floor and i remember just all squished on the floor yeah yeah so people, and then people were sleeping what if you have to go to the bathroom yeah yeah if you have to go to the bathroom you're stepping on people well no stepping no, on but, their head no but i mean uh you know that i don't remember that being an issue per se but was I there mean, a bathroom it wasn't, yeah 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 uh-huh there was okay and uh um, in the apartment or was it down the hall no, in the apartment. I mean, this okay. was just a regular apartment in a regular building, like just a gotcha. one bedroom apartment, you know? Okay. <clears throat> and actually, my cousin didn't live there. It was one of his friends or something like that that lived there. And so oh. um, he was also Albanian. And so we could just live with him. You know, he let us stay with him for a little bit. And my cousin was bringing like food to us once a week and was hanging out with us every day. Were you hiding? Did you feel like you were hiding or did you feel like you're just trying to have a roof over your head and you can go no. outside, but you don't want to get lost? No, no, I don't. I didn't feel like we were hiding, but I do. I do remember it being a very uncomfortable experience <clears throat> mm -hmm. because all of a sudden, like I said, you can't play by yourself outside. I remember our cousin telling us like, oh, you know, sometimes they kidnap kids here and, you know, you, you don't want to do not let the kids play outside by themselves. Always make sure you guys are outside with them. And, you know, we lived on like the seventh floor or some, or like the eighth floor, it was really high up. And so I remember the elevator thing was also like a daily thing. Uh, if we wanted to go out and play and someone oh. always had to take us out to the park, someone always had to be with us. It's not like we could just Very go out different. by ourselves. Uh, Very different. You yes. lost your freedom. <clears throat> yes, yes, definitely. You could think of it that way. You went now. to from the rural area to the city and you lost your freedom as a kid. Yes, but I also think for me, I lost my childhood. That was that was the end of my childhood for sure. That was the end for sure. Childhood. I always think of that time as like that's where my childhood ended. You know, at because, ten years old. Yes. At ten yes. years old, you lost your childhood. So can I share real quick this uh, this experience that I had? I think like two weeks ago or something yeah. like that. I went to the post office, and I was waiting in line, and out of nowhere, I noticed this. <clears throat> There was this family, mom, dad, and then two, I want to say, toddlers, and then this girl. 
I want to say she's like, I don't know, 10 years old, 11 years old. And so this is where I really noticed her because when it was her family's turn to get to the, the counter and talk to the, the post post office employee, you know, she was the one who spoke for her family. So she was asking questions about they needed um, forms to apply for their passport or something like that. And so she was the one asking those questions. And that like really resonated with me. I was like, I, it really caught my attention. And I was like, it almost made me a little emotional because I felt like proud of her, but I also felt I sympathized with her because I feel like, oh, okay, you have to do what I had to do at your age. You know, that's why I'm saying you kind of lose that sense of childhood. You're not out there playing with the kids the way you used to kind of careless. All of a sudden, these cares and concerns are introduced in your life and you have no control over it, really, uh, because you love your mom and you love your dad. And when they need you to go with them to the doctors or go with them to the lawyer's appointment or go with them to the supermarket because they don't understand what's being said or whatever, then you do that and you don't ask questions, you know? And I remember being in sixth grade in Sweden and I had to be excused several times a week. I would I had this amazing teacher, like um, incredible, incredible teacher. And she totally understood my situation. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Sometimes I may be late because I may have to go and make a phone call from my parents to the lawyer's office or maybe the doctor's office or whatever it was, you know. And so that's what I mean when I say you lose your childhood, you know. Not sure why, but I can't hear you. Not sure why. Okay, there you are. Sorry, I had it on mute. No worries. So to, to clarify, you're saying in sixth grade, you had to translate Swedish for your parents, for doctors, uh, lawyers. Immigration. Um, immigration and, um, and grocery store, any mm -hmm. daily thing. Your Swedish is good enough at sixth grade that you can do this? Yes. I mean, it's way better than my parents. That's for okay. sure. Because mm -hmm. so, remember, we were. Uh, hold, we on on, oh, hold on sure, one sure, second. Not a problem at all. So we are back. Um, do you remember what you were saying? You were saying that you had to translate Swedish at sixth grade. That's really impressive because sixth grade is what, 12 years old? So Something you'd been there like a year and you'd already learned enough to talk to a doctor or talk to a grocery clerk. I would say maybe 13 in my oh, case, because gotcha. I had to like repeat. Anyway, it was a bit complicated with schooling because when we remember, we applied for political asylum in Sweden. And so what happens? You become basically a political refugee. Now that you are a refugee, you can't go to regular school with regular kids. Instead, you just go to this like refugee school, which is basically like intensive language learning. Honestly, that's what okay. I would call it. Gotcha. You know, that makes sense. So, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, so here's a there's something I haven't asked you. Mm -hmm. 
which I think a lot of people would be interested to know, which is how are you feeling your emotions? Uh, when you, when your childhood, your delightful, charming childhood is suddenly taken from you. How did you feel? Did you feel afraid, scared, angry, um, so depressed? Sad? So I think you're asking a really good question. And I think the, the best answer to that question is, I don't think you are feeling anything as it's happening. You Trauma. are just really confused and you're like, okay, what's going on? But yeah. really what's happening a bunch of trauma is accruing that's gonna get back at you uh, around your teenager years. That's basically what happened to me. And so did you ever go of, to therapy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you, you could, you're speaking very, you're speaking in a way that you seem you're very uh, plugged in, you, you know, you have self-awareness of what's happening. Okay. Oh, for sure. For gotcha. sure. And okay. it's so amazing because in Sweden, they offered therapy to, to, you know, children of, uh, uh, you know, like refugee children or children who had experienced war or some type of political unrest in some way. And I always, whenever this comes up in terms of former Yugoslavia, I always want to be very clear I think former Yugoslavia as a whole suffered in different ways because of these political conflicts that went on. But yeah. we have to be very realistic and fair and say that Bosnia and Croatia definitely stand out because they were the ones who experienced, uh, you know, killings and bombings and uh, rape and all kinds of horrendous things and crimes that come with an actual real war. So I always kind of want to emphasize that because I think it's really, really important. I mean, in Bosnia, they had these camps, you know, where they were starving people and uh, I mean, horrendous, horrific situations. So, uh, so with that yeah. said, I think that everyone in former Yugoslavia experienced some type of trauma in one way or oh, another, absolutely. because it was a very uncomfortable yes. interruption of regular life, really. Yeah. So yeah. that separation, that very early separation from my family left its, absolutely left its, uh, how do I say the scars, you know, when, I don't know if when I did you become that. aware of those scars? What, well, let me, first of all, can I ask you, um, what type of therapy did you go through? Was it a group therapy? Was it individual individual, individual, individual. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And, and how it long, was, how long did you go through that? It was in high school, actually mm -hmm. throughout high school, which was a nice beginning to kind of start dealing with some of that trauma, but was later it years on, or was it months? How many? It how was. Long? I would say maybe two, three years two of three high years. school, okay. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Did you have a good uh -huh. therapist? Did they? Did you have the amazing, same therapist? amazing therapist? One therapist. She was amazing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. She was amazing. Yes. She was and very, was very woman? helpful. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Amazing therapist. Great. Well, that's probably why you were able to process and and have such a handle on 
being able to d- even describe it because it's very traumatic what you went through and uh, incredibly traumatic for a young kid to to go through that and to the fact that you haven't blocked it all out and and well not all of it but you know you, you're able to articulate it so well and you seem to have such a command of of um not only the details of the narration but but what it means for you and mm-hmm. so yeah you have a lot of it's very impressive and you know you're right it was a very challenging time it was a very difficult time but had i not gone through that i wouldn't be who i am today that's a fact do you so, feel like you have had some healing from that trauma you know the word healing is is to me the way things are today is triggering in and of itself because i feel like in america today it's such a trend like oh i'm healing you know and <laughs> oh we're healing you know so it's a religious word, word. maybe jokingly i can say that word in and of itself is triggering you know because it's like okay okay, what are we healing from today what's the healing you know but um you know i think i have had i have gotten the help that i've needed i've gotten the help to process what happened for sure however however um i also had to go through certain things such as education in later on in my adult life to really make sense of a lot of things that are a big part of my life, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think a mix of everything helped me to overcome all those things and actually look back at it today as something that's made me who I am, that's made me stronger, that's made me a better person, a more appreciative person, and, and all of that, you know, so. <clears throat> so you're in, you're, um, you're in Sweden after Czechoslovakia, you went right from Czechoslovakia to Sweden. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? Well, here's the first memory that comes to mind. <laughs> um, we are at the train station. So we, my mom, my dad, my two brothers, two sisters, and then the youngest sister, being like what eight months old at this point so she's a baby and we are at the the oldest you're the oldest kid i'm the oldest yes Uh, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of pressure for you a lot of Mm -hmm. lot of pressure oh yes oh yes absolutely and so you know we're at this train station and i remember so we're at the train station in malmo which is basically at a, a city in southern Sweden. So we're headed to Stockholm, the capital city of Stockholm. I'm sorry, the capital city of Sweden, which is north. So we're waiting to catch this train at this train station in Malmö. And I remember there was a guy there waiting, or I don't know, maybe he was hanging out with his friends. But anyway, he was like a punk rocker, you know? So he had his hair he was completely shaved around here and then he had this like kind of like huge mohawk thing you know in the middle of his head and then he had these like leather clothes and these like boots and he was tatted up and had some earrings and I'm just giving you this vivid description because obviously 
That was a huge culture shock for my dad. And I will forever. You didn't have that in Montenegro? You didn't have that at Tuzi? Come on. Oh, my God. No (laughs) way. Decency was such such an important aspect. Like, you must carry yourself in a certain way. You must behave in a certain way. You must speak to people in a certain way. And so that was obviously out of the question, you know. Now, so I remember hearing my dad make that comment to my mom, almost immediately regretting that he had chosen Sweden as a country, oh, that's funny. you know, so, so there, there wow. it is that culture shock has arrived. Yeah. And right uh-huh. away, I imagine my dad was probably overwhelmed with fear, like, Oh, my God, what does this mean for my kids? How, how right. are we going to be able to raise our kids in this country? Yes. Uh, what kind of a lifestyle do these people live? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of stuff, right? So I remember, I remember that specifically, you know. That's <laughs> As, interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, Samra, we have not, we have gotten this far without mentioning religion at all. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Um, tell us about, the religious background of the place that you grew up in and, and how are you processing that, uh, this whole thing sure. in, re- so, in religious terms? So I was born into a, a Muslim family. So my grandmother and my grandfather, uh, my, basically my whole family on my dad's side are Muslims and they practiced Islam growing up. Uh, Well, how, in which way? Well, you know, they would go to the mosque. They would take us to the mosque sometimes. Uh, Everybody in that town was Muslim or? Well, not quite, because you had this, you have this division between Albanian Muslims and then Albanian Catholics. So, for example, many of our neighbors were Albanian Catholics. So, you know, we that's that's the religion that that my first introduction to religion, like Islam and then Catholicism through my neighbors. However, my mom's a side of the family, Christian Orthodox. Your mom's was your mom Christian? My no, my mom's my mom's dad. So my mom's mom originally Christian Orthodox, but then converted to Islam because she married my grandfather, who was Muslim. So my mom grew up also with the Muslim religion, sort of mixed with Christian Orthodox because of her mom's side of the family who were still and who still are, you know, Christian Orthodox uh, practicing that religion. So, so yeah. your your grandfather grew up Muslim Mm -hmm. your grandfather on your mom on my dad's side on my dad's side okay hold on a sec I'm I'm, I'm missing something here I I have your mom's mom was Christian Orthodox but converted by marrying a Muslim yes that's right converted to Islam Mm -hmm. when she married that's your mom's dad right that's right Mm -hmm. okay so your mom's dad is grew up muslim i believe so yes okay i believe now that's interesting how did they meet and how did they get married if they're so different culturally uh 
well, they, I don't, to be honest, I don't know exactly where, how they met. My dad has told me this story several times. I don't remember the details, but they did meet uh, maybe, I want to say maybe in Kosovo. I'm not sure, to be honest okay. with you, but uh, yeah. So, well, mm-hmm. okay. And then on your dad's side, that's all solid Muslim. Is that what you're yes. saying? Yes, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. Going back generations? Going back how long? Yeah, yeah, I would think so, probably a few generations. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's hard to know, huh? Hard to know for me. I, I, you know, you have people who are like really good with these details. (laughs) I I don't know exactly these things, to be honest. Interesting. Did your mom's, did you ever know your mom's mom? Did you know your yes, grandma? Yes, Did she ever yes. talk about Christianity, growing up Christian? No. So that you knew what it was? No, I don't know. I don't think so. But never talked about. But it, it was. But I was aware of it because my mom didn't aside, give you secret teachings on the Trinity. Like, no, you know, in no, the corner. Okay. No, but my mom's side of the family, I, I was aware of it because whenever I would go to visit my grandma. Sometimes I would see her sister who was really, really nice. And I remember just, I did just knowing that they have, they practice a different religion. You know, I just knew that, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so how are you making sense of, of things? Uh, Did you have a Muslim perspective or did you feel like, or did you, was that not quite grown up in you? Did you? No, for sure. For sure. Growing up. Like t- during my childhood, the the, ch- the time that I spent in my village, it's like, yes, I'm Muslim. Yes, we practice Islam. There was no doubt in my mind. You believe in that. God, right? You, uh, you yes. would say you believe in God. Yes, okay. for sure. I believe in God hardcore. You know, I think God is responsible for everything in this world. I think God is the almighty. You don't question God. You pray to God that kind of stuff for sure for sure did you did you read the quran or was it read in the home uh, well we had we had a quran in the home for sure and i did not read it was it in arabic or was it in your language no i mean we had the arabic version and then we had the translated or the translation as well and then also going to the mosque, the imam would kind of teach you things from the Quran and things like that, you know. How so, long, how many times did you go to the mosque? Was it every week, once a week, twice uh, a week? You know what? I went to this like. Only on Easter? I, I want to say, uh, I want to say I went to this, let's say, I don't know, religious school once a week. I think it was on Sundays or Fridays, maybe it was where we would just like practice reading things from the Quran and just kind of teaching your kids about the religion, that kind of stuff once a week for a little while, I think. But then my aunts would take me to the mosque sometimes during the Ram- during Ramadan. I think during Ramadan, I, I went like every night, you know, that kind of stuff. And but speaking of Ramadan, that's another amazing experience that I had as a child because you know, everybody was fasting together and then we would break fast together. And the kids were so excited because 
<laughs> there were there was so much food and all these goodies and candy and cookies and so that's also you, like you break the fast at night right when the sun goes down yes and then you see the lights go on because there's a church in the village and then there's also a mosque in the village so the lights would turn on uh, at the top of the mosque and that's what you would see and so us kids would just run to tell everybody you can break the fast you can break the fast you know and so those are also wonderful memories that i have from my childhood during ramadan time you know and that's a month long right in yes. november something like that well i think it was different times different, different times. for every year it's a different month i think something like that did you have any feelings of hostility toward the church or people that went to the church? Uh, look, look, there was a division between the two for sure. One that I noticed much more later on when I, as a teenager, when we would go back and visit back home, you know, but I think generally speaking, going back to the whole village life, I would say these families just knew each other. They had a history together. And I think there was a general sense of respect for each other. So uh, to give you an example, our neighbors, when it was, you know, Easter, they would color a bunch of eggs or whatever, and they would bring us a bunch of boiled eggs, you know, colored boiled eggs. And I remember loving that. You know, I remember being super excited about that. And I remember, you know, us having to congratulate them, you know, like, hey, happy Easter or happy this, happy that. So there was always I in my experience when I was there as a little kid, there was that sense of respect, like they respect ours, we respect theirs. And that's that, gotcha. you know, but okay. in terms of marriage, in terms of that kind of stuff, you do not mix. I mean, the message was very no clear. Mixing. No, absolutely not. No marriage mixing. You do not. That's know. why it's interesting about your mom's mom mm -hmm. and your mom's dad to me. Yeah, but they were from the bigger city, remember? Ah, so okay. so there's mixing life is always city. different in the big city, you know? Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I, I, mean, I should ask you a little bit about Ramadan. What's the meaning of Ramadan? Why, why is there a fast for a month? Did you feel like you understood that as a kid? Does that explain not, not really. I mean, to tell you the truth, not really. I just, I just remembered that, yeah, you know, you fast. And I mean, at the time as a kid, I did not fast. It was way too early to start <laughs> fasting. But sometimes the adults would challenge us like, hey, guys, you should try one day, you know, if you can do it one day, so that's good fast. for you. So, uh, you know, sometimes we'd have these things with the friends like, oh, let's fast tomorrow. Yeah, so let's it's not do like it. it's not like uh, food was withheld for you. For no, no, reason. no, no, okay. no, no way. No, that way, you no. understood anyway. Mm -hmm. OK, interesting. Yeah. So the adults were saying we're doing this. Uh, you can try it if you want. Try it out. Something like that. Yes. Is that yes fair yes. to say. Mm -hmm. OK, mm -hmm. I think it's helpful to have that background. Um of course, a lot of Christian kids don't understand what the deal is with the colored boiled eggs on Easter either. And th th that's never explained to them. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you asked. I had that when I was a kid, but I, I don't think I could have explained it. <laughs> and I'm mm -hmm. not even really sure I can explain the colored eggs uh, today. <laughs> I honestly never asked anything about it, but I just always thought the eggs were so delicious. Like, I just remember... Yeah 
the way they would boil these eggs. And then like, you just got so many of them, you know, there was like Mm. a bucket of eggs. I remember Was it ever chocolate as well or anything that was that too fancy? No, actually not, not that, that I remember it was always boiled eggs, you know? And would you have uh, salt on the eggs as well? That's what we do. Yeah, we would. Just the the regular eggs. Did you not normally boil your eggs? Um, Sure, we would. But I just remember the way they would boil their eggs. It was just boiled to perfection. That's how I remember it. Like it was just such a delicious egg. I remember it exactly like that. So that's something that I was really excited about. Like, yes, Easter, Easter, we're we're getting eggs. And so. So as a Muslim, you were excited about Easter because the food was really good. Yes, for sure. For sure. I remember that because our neighbors were so amazing and they would bring they would bring eggs to us or if we went to their house to congratulate and they would just give us eggs. And so, yeah, that's how I remember it. Now, you you have this view, right? And then your childhood ends at 10. You're in Czechoslovakia. It's very confusing. You get to Sweden are you still a Muslim in your heart and your mind? Are you, how are you, are you praying? Are you asking God, what is the meaning of this? What, uh, what's that like for you? For sure. I am still Muslim. And uh, that's why what I said earlier, certain things in school would upset me. Oh, okay. but I, but then your class, <laughs> your class helped me understand much better why those things upset me because Oh. Uh, you know, in Sweden, it wasn't meant to upset me. It was just a way, a whole new way of looking at things. And instead of just telling you, yes, God did this and God is the almighty and God, blah, blah, blah. It was like, oh, so how many gods are there? Are there, is there more than one God, which God is right, which God is right. It was just like these curious questions that were absolutely not meant to offend me or not meant to hurt me or whatever. But to me, it was just like this continuation of this separation, this identity that I had, and that was actually really comfortable as a kid, because no one ever questioned anything. No one ever asked these uncomfortable questions that, well, later on, I kind of thought of them as uncomfortable questions, because uh, you know, they, they were uncomfortable because I had no idea how to answer those questions, you know? Yeah, yeah. So to a certain extent, they make you feel embarrassed. They make you feel like you don't have all the answers, which was well, a whole new concept to me. For some reason, I just always thought I had the answers because of the way religion was explained to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was uncomfortable in Sweden. But then later on, I learned to really, really appreciate that part as well, where it's like, okay, well, you're challenged to look at new things and look at it from a different perspective. And that, later, that's, how, yeah. how much later on did you come to appreciate that? Probably around my LMU, my time at LMU. Okay. Um, so much, much later. Tell um, us how you went from sweden to lmu uh so what are the ages and all that mm -hmm, so i stayed in sweden until i was done with high school i graduated from high school and so then the question was okay what do i do now do i continue with school 
it wasn't even do I continue with school because I always knew that I wanted to continue with school. I generally speaking, I always loved school. I think I was always really curious and really wanted to learn and enjoyed learning. But the way learning was presented to me during was this different in Stockholm? Uh, no, a small town about an hour and a half outside of Stockholm or away from Stockholm. What's that? What's the town called? Uh, Hiebe. Can you spell H- it? H. Mm-hmm. So H E B Y. Hiebe. H E B Y. Okay. I would never have known how to say that. I'm glad you said it for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No problem. No problem. So, um, did you like that town? Was it a happy childhood teenage years? It was. So remember when we arrived to Sweden, we applied for political asylum. And so what that meant, it meant moving several times to different places because you were a refugee. And so, okay. So you were a refugee this whole time. Yes. So you stay here for two weeks and then you move to another place and you stay there for three weeks. You're kind of moved around until some type of a more permanent place is available for you uh, so that you can wait for a final decision, immigration decision. Like, are you going to be able to stay in Sweden? Are you not going to be able to stay in Sweden? Is this the time when you were, you mentioned to me in person that you had stayed at a church for like six months? Was that during this time? Yes, actually it wasn't during this time, but it was as a result of this time because while we were waiting in the refugee camps for a decision, uh, you know, okay, are you going to be able to stay in Sweden? Are you not going to be able to stay in Sweden? We finally got that decision uh, and the decision was, no, you cannot stay in Sweden. You have to go back to your country. How many years was this that you had been in Sweden? I would say close to three years. Three years. So close to three years. Okay. I'm doing the math. Hold on. You're 11 when you get there or 10. You're still 10. 10. Yes. I'm 10 when we get to Sweden. So you're 13 when the decision comes down. Mm -hmm. The, The decision of the Swedish officials, 13 years old. What city are you in when this happens? Do you remember? As, yes, a city called Halstahamar. <laughs> okay. That's going to be a, a bit more. Halstahamar, that's where we were at. We were waiting for the decision. Halstahamar. And the decision was you are denied refugee status. Yes. So you, you are... have to go back. Go yes. back. Yes. And you, so for three years, you had been moving every couple of weeks. Did I hear that right? Uh, well, the, I would say for the first year or so, no, no, no. For the first, let's say six months, we were moving quite frequently because remember, this is the early nineties and there's like a, an influx, huge influx of refugees coming into Sweden from many different parts of the world, not just former Yugoslavia, but predominantly from former Yugoslavia. So Sweden is opening up their doors to all these, all these people who need help. But it's like you're opening up the doors, but you don't exactly know, okay, where can we house these people? How can we house them? So as you're figuring this out, we're staying at hotels for a few weeks. And then we're staying at these 
to me, they looked like summer camp houses or whatever, you know, and so we're staying there. And then from there, we're moved to this other hotel. And so, okay, for, so these are yeah, hotels, but exactly. you used the word refugee camp earlier. So what do you mean by refugee camp? Because they were referred to as refugee camps, the like hotels. In, yeah, in Sweden, okay. in Swedish, it was like flicking for legging. You know, it was like that actually sweet. helps that you said yeah. that word. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. So, it, it's just so funny that I, so I would know name, that word. That's the name that I would I would hear. Gotcha. Like, okay. What's the word again? Flicking for legging. See, uh-huh. everybody, isn't that clear? Now yes. that you know that word. Yes. Great. Uh-huh. us. But honestly, thinking back to uh, to this city, Halstahamar, that's where we kind of were able to settle down a little bit more because we actually lived in an apartment. We were going to school. There were some like more normalcy to our life. I would say we were making friends. We could play outside the, the building. It was it was a really nice oh, time. Really you could nice play time. outside the building. Wow, that's uh-huh. great. Mm-hmm. Play outside. No kidnapping. No kidnapping. No. Okay. So, so we could play outside and, you know, we got to know other kids from, from the neighboring refugee camp. We were playing with kids from different countries, different nationalities. That was my first introduction to like all these different people from different countries, different religions, different languages, different cultures okay so now you're 13 the decision comes down um what's the reaction of your parents are they freaked out are you what we're we're all freaked out i remember coming home and my mom was crying and it's like okay now what you know another another traumatic event yeah yeah that's why i'm i'm mentioning the city as a as a really nice city because like I said, it kind of gave us some stability, honestly, you know, like we actually had an apartment that we were living in. We had kind of fixed up the apartment a little bit. There was that sense of home when when you yeah. got home, like there was that home cooked meal. We were going to school. My parents were making friends. I mean, that was a really nice time. And so you come home. I came home from school on a Friday, I remember. And there was that sense of tension at home i remember tension as in like something's wrong you know yeah. like something's going on right and so my mom's crying and it's like oh my god what okay well we have to go back on monday so we had received the rejection letter and also like seven tickets like ready to go so we were already booked to go on monday to fly so, to back to fly home. back to montenegro oh my yes. gosh and, and you're so, thinking, no, we're not doing that. So my, well, my dad was like, no way. We're not going back because the situation was getting worse and worse in former Yugoslavia, you know? Mm-hmm. And although there wasn't necessarily a boiling war in Montenegro, there was that big question, like, is Montenegro going to be the next place? Because no one could really tell you that with certainly, certainty at the time, you know? Now, what do we do that same night? And I remember that night so vividly because all these people came over to say bye. They wanted to say bye to us, but also like we had all these things, you know, we had a nice carpet. We had all these like 
furniture things that we were just giving away to everyone was like, oh, yeah, take it, take it, take it, because we left that same night. Our cousins came from Stockholm, picked us up, and that's when we went officially into hiding. That's when you have a lot of cousins. It's a good thing you have a lot of cousins, man. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. I I wish I had that many many cousins. cousins. So many cousins. So my cousins came and picked us up. These are good cousins too. They're not the bad Amazing cousins. cousins. Yes. Wonderful. We are super cousins. close to this day. I'm close to their, with their kids and, and now their kids. And so, yeah, they're amazing. They're awesome. Oh, okay. So they come from Stockholm. They come from Stockholm, pick us up. And then, so we leave that same night. And so how do you translate this? You translate it like this. The immigration has sent you a clear letter and a clear statement. You cannot stay here anymore. You need to go back by Monday. But what you're saying is you're saying, I don't agree with your decision. And so I'm just going to go into hiding, which technically is against the law. It is illegal technically, but it was quite common at that time for many refugee families to do that just to kind of disappear overnight and go into hiding. So that's what we did. We just went to stay with our cousins and then this new kind of era of like okay you can't go out too much now because at the time it was pretty common for the Swedish government to just like allow the police to kind of they could have your pick a picture of you or whatever well this family is in in hiding they need to be deported so I don't know if you see someone that resembles them or if someone reports them or whatever, you could, I mean, you could just arrest them or whatever, you know? So I remember honestly, and I should be very clear on that. Who knows? Maybe that was just like a myth that was spread around other refugees who were in hiding in the camps. I don't know. You know, I don't know if that was really true or not, but that was instilled in my head. And so Mm -hmm. I remember not wanting to go out and play during the day, although we did, but I didn't like it because I was always like police cars. Oh my God, police cars, you know? So that was, that introduced, that was the beginning of another kind of really, let's say traumatic experience in the sense that again, this sense of comfort and some type of stability was gone. And so I couldn't go to school anymore either. How long did that last? How long did that last? About a year, I would say. About a year. What's your living situation for this year? So we're living, so we're staying at my cousin's house, one mm-hmm. bedroom apartment. Like we're all living, we're all sleeping back on the to floor. one bedroom. Okay. We're all sleeping mm-hmm. on the floor in the living room. Like my it's goodness. just not really the best living situation. Surprised but... you don't get triggered as soon as you see a one bedroom, any one bedroom. <laughs> anywhere you don't get triggered and go into like convulsions that's why i'm telling you this word triggered i mean yeah we need to have another podcast yeah. and just talk about that <laughs> word you know? yes yeah because uh my guess is that these uh people on campus that are triggered for critical thinking oh, you have God. some thoughts about that right may i roll my eyes please wow um so yeah, God bless you. that's, that's why I'm telling you, like, had I not yes. gone through all these experiences, I wouldn't be able to look at these people today and literally genuinely powerfully roll my eyes and just be like, dude, you're so, you're, you're so talking about delusional. in America on the yes. college campuses. You're yeah. so delusional. You have no Delusion. idea what you're talking about, you know? So 
But anyway, going yeah. back to this. So, so we're staying at, at my cousin's. And again, there's this complicated living situation because we're sleeping in the living room and there's like oh. no room. And my cousins were super nice. Like they were so welcoming and everything, you know, wow. but, but. And they're living I'm, in there too. They're, yeah, apartment? of course. They're living there with their families. How many people are in this apartment? So it's my cousin with her husband and two kids. And then my mom and dad and five kids. So seven. So seven, 11 people, 11 people. Yes. Okay. And, um, you know, another cousin and you mine, can't go out and play. Preferably well, not. Usually well, when you see the police, you have to run basically. Yeah. So we'd, we'd prefer to go like in the evening for some reason, we just felt safe. It was felt safer. Like go in the evening. Don't go during the day. Who knows? Maybe this, this idea made us feel like, okay, we are less visible in the evening, or maybe mm. they won't pay as much attention or something like that. I don't know. But I remember feeling really scared, honestly, like really nervous about being out there and playing with kids. And oh, you're kind of always on your toes about, it, you know, but another cousin of mine introduced my parents to this amazing lawyer. And, uh, you know, in the process, maybe it was the lawyer who introduced my parents to this priest, this priest in Sweden, who actually said, you know what, you guys can come and stay at this church. And so we did. Now, it sounds like, oh, God, they were living in the middle of a church. But let me just explain. Yes, it was a church for sure in a small town in Sweden. But but there was kind of a housing area attached to the church. So I had access to that church every single day. In fact, there was a piano that they would play every Sunday. And so I could just go and sit there every day during the week because there was no one else there. You know, worship was every Sunday. So, so yeah, this little housing area that they gave to us was actually... Um, part of the church so just to kind of be clear so that i don't make it seem like oh we okay. lived in a church like on the benches you know no gotcha. there was a living room there was a kitchen and then upstairs there were two rooms so there was plenty of space for us to sleep and cook and eat and then that priest lived like just one I don't know how to say it. like one level above us, like he's his house was also part of that church. And he lived there with his three kids and his wife. And when I tell you that they were incredibly, amazingly kind people, like, honestly, I'm not exaggerating. Like, that was the beginning of an amazing friendship. They were coming over all the time and we were going to their house all the time. And I remember his kids had super nintendo and so that was like a big deal like yeah let's go play super nintendo you know so he wow. was really happy because his kids also had friends and we had friends so we were hanging out all the time with the kids with his kids they were coming over we were going over and so that was a really really nice experience like i really loved those people so now how long were you in the church for for maybe a couple of months, let's say six, seven months, maybe something like that. Lived in the church for six, seven months. Okay. And, and by did you the feel way, safe there? 
Oh my God, beyond safe, beyond safe. I felt so, oh, it was amazing. No no cops coming and looking for you? Well, that was the part that was always a bit scary because you, I was still in the back of my mind. I don't want to go out too much during the day. And then I always felt like because it was winter time, it was, there was a lot of snow. I always felt like you stood out so much because there was so much snow around you and everything was white around you. So I remember having that fear, like, Oh my God, maybe I will be extra recognizable (laughs) or something because everything was so visible. I felt like, I don't know if that makes sense, but interesting. um, How did you get food? Well, exactly. So it's like, well, how did you guys get food? The first thing that this priest said to my mom and dad was like, don't worry about money. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about, you know, being hungry or anything. You guys just ask me and we will provide. And so every single Sunday, they were collecting money for us in church. Can you believe that? You know, every single Sunday. So everybody knew you were there. Oh, yes. All these church goers, uh, I will always remember them as some of the most amazing kind wonderful people that i've ever met in sweden um, what was and, the name of the church do you remember oh my god that's a good question i don't remember have you ever been back to visit i have not my siblings have but do you know what god kind was, of church it was protestant catholic oh protestant i believe protestant, protestant I Any, think so. but you don't remember what uh, the name of it was no but my siblings and I, God willingly, that's, that's part of our plan. Uh, as soon as we get together, all of us in Sweden, we want to do like a, maybe a three, four day thing where we drive to all these cities where we were living. Yeah, you uh, should. Because my brother, my brother does like documentaries and stuff. He, like, he likes to make documentaries. So we were thinking to maybe just make like a for ourselves just some kind of documentary of all these like old spots where we used to live because i haven't been there in years in years i've made a note to myself in my notes that it's probably a lutheran church because of lutheran but it's not necessarily the case obviously because there's lots of history here but if it's a protestant church it's probably lutheran in sweden did they have bibles in the church Mm -hmm. and were there hymnals and, you know what those oh, are? Yeah, yeah, of course. They were singing. And then did they read the Bible in church? Of course. Actually, I was reading the Bible for them because oh. uh, remember, this is a time when we are in hiding. We are not going to school. So you are this kid who who, you know, has the whole day available. But it's like, what do you do? You can't go to school. You shouldn't really go outside and play too much during the day. So, I mean, I needed to kind of occupy myself somehow. And I quickly became friends with all these churchgoers. They were really old people. Like, you know, they were in their 70s, 80s, some of them in their 60s. But they were the kindest people. They really reminded me of everyone in my village, you know, because they were so kind and they were I almost How many like people that was... were in the church during a Sunday? Do you remember? Was oh, it packed? Was the whole was the I whole thing? I don't know if it was packed, but maybe okay. there were 50, 60, 70 people. Were they all like older? I would say older for sure. Not okay. too many young people gotcha. I don't remember seeing. Mm. You know, that, that says I, I can predict what the church is probably like. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
Wow, and, that's interesting. Uh, lots of lots of interesting stuff. And you're at what age at this time? What 14, maybe 14, 13, okay. 14, something like that. During the time seen. of the church. Mm-hmm. And what city was it in? The name of this city was Gniasta. So it's G-N-E-S-T-A. Gniasta. Gniasta. G-N-E-S-T-A. S-T-A. Gniasta. And that's the that's the town with the church. Mm-hmm. Is it a small town? Small town, small really town. cozy, small town, really nice. Okay. So I would, I would every Tuesday they had like some kind of Bible get together, and then the ladies would kind of do activities, and it was just like a way for older people to get together. And I remember like loving wow. Tuesdays because it was so cozy, like. getting together with them and just reading for them and helping them out maybe I felt like I was reconnected with all these I don't know my grandma my grandpa all these people that I grew up with in my in my village you know it was your grandma was there no 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 but I felt like oh you felt them I felt like I had the presence of my grandma and my grandma where where is your grandma and grandpa at this time where are they I mean they they passed away years ago they passed away they passed away years ago but they were living in the village until they passed away you know so and they passed away when you when you were not we were in Sweden yes oh so you couldn't go to their funeral no I could not go to Uh, their funeral my grandpa came to see us in Sweden, I think once or twice. He came, he came to visit us twice, I think. And he also and came to visit us in Slovakia, actually. Um, these funerals. I'm, yeah. The, so you have four grandparents. They all die when you're in Sweden. Well, uh, my, right. my mom's dad, I never met because he died way before my mom was even married or had kids. So okay. I never met him, but my grandma, my mom's mom passed away while we were in Sweden. I didn't even get to see her, you know, say a proper goodbye or anything like that. Whereas my dad's mom and dad, at least I got to see them again after we left and spend a little gotcha. bit of time, you know, so that, that was at least nice, you know, and then they died they also uh, died, yes. When you were in Sweden? Yes. Mm-hmm. So you're in Sweden until you're 19 or 18? Actually 20, because remember... Okay. Due so to you the lived fact- as a refugee f- for six years? Till 20? No, 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 no. no. Okay, I lived sorry. as a refugee, I would say three years, more or less. Three, let's say between... Three and three and a half years, more or less, more or less. So at 14 years old, you've been there for four years, almost mm-hmm. three and a half. Mm-hmm. You're a refugee for how much longer? So now we're in hiding. Remember, in we're hiding, in this church, in hiding, we're in yeah. hiding. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there is this amnesty law, new amnesty law that if you had entered Sweden prior to this and this year, prior to this and this date, if you had not committed any crimes or anything like that, you will automatically be given this amnesty. In other words, you will be granted uh, permission to stay in Sweden legally. And so it just so happened that that amnesty applied to my my family. And so 
you know, we were back to the refugee camps again after church, because now you have to go to a refugee camp so that you can be properly processed and, you know, get all the paperwork. How long does that take? It took a couple of months for us, actually. And then (laughs) we were given this apartment where we could live. And then, then I could start going to school with all the regular kids, studying regular subjects. So at 15 you know. years old, yes, your life returns. Basically. Uh, so I'm like basically the oldest kid in, in the class because stability. everyone else is younger and I'm okay. in sixth grade. From so the, that's, oh, wow. In from yeah. at 15 years old, you're in sixth grade. Yeah. Wow. So you have, do you stay in the same town from 15 to 20 or do you move still? No, we end up moving again because this city that was assigned to us wasn't necessarily the city where we wanted to live. Mm. So my dad ends up finding this like really small town. And so we end up moving there and we'll live with you know, we never, ever moved away from that town ever again. I what age were you when you moved to that town? Probably about 15. Okay. 16, Did you have like about 14, four year, four and a half years of stability in Sweden uh, at yes. that town? Yes. Yes. What's, yes, what's the name right. of the town? Hiabe. That's here. Oh, okay. That's the one you already mentioned. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have Mm -hmm. stability. Finally, you Mm -hmm. graduate from high school. (sighs) You have an amazing life. I, I I mean, I just, uh, it's amazing to me the amount of experience that you have. I have notes and notes (laughs) and I've already talked to you about this and I'm still taking notes and, um, you know, we've obviously talked many times and, and I never get sick of hearing these stories. Um, can you, we're going to have to have you back on, I think. Is that okay? <laughs> sure, sure. No problem. Because no you have problem. such a rich life and we haven't even got to America and we haven't even got to your business. Can you tell us what your business is? What is your business and what do you do? You're an entrepreneur, right? Yes, I am. I am. Um, I let's say I own a small teaching company called Maverick Lingo. And wow, that's I've right up your alley. Been doing this for about five years now. And so what I do is I teach languages, mostly English. But I don't just teach languages. That's why I don't really, uh, when you promote yourself or whatever, I don't really promote myself as a teacher, but more so as a language coach, because I'm trying, I'm really applying all these life experiences that I've had as a way to motivate students to learn, especially English, because you never, ever know when you might need it. And so going back again, to that conclusion, had I not gone through all these things, I would not be able to be the person that I am today. Yes. And I would not be able to share yes. these valuable uh, experiences with other people 
urging them and and encouraging them to not victimize themselves, to Mm. not fall victim to your life experiences, but instead to gain as much strength and knowledge and wisdom from that experience and build yourself up from that, you know? And if you are new in a country where let's say only English is spoken, then you must learn English. You must learn English. And sometimes as a society, we are afraid to say this because, oh God, I might be offending people by telling them that, oh, you know what? You live in the US, you must learn English because I truly genuinely believe there are so many people who come to the US from other countries who have so much to give. And I mean this genuinely, like who have so much to give. And so, Mm. you know, not to like toot my own horn, but I really think we need to have another podcast so we can kind of so I that agree. people can better understand how I also got to these conclusions. And I also really, really want to talk in depth about what your class in particular did for me in terms of just becoming a much more individual thinker and just really getting to know myself better and becoming more grounded in mm-hmm. who I am as a person, which has been like, it has been a pillar in my life, in every single aspect, you know, like knowing who I am, knowing what I believe in, knowing what's important, knowing what's just background noise. And, you know, you know, all those things are really important to get into. But, you know, you are shaped by all these experience. I mean, experiences, how mm-hmm. can you not be? How can yeah. you not be? You know, and I actually have this very specific memory from LMU. I met this, uh, I actually became friends with this, with this really young LMU student. I think she was like 18 or 19 when I met her. And um, she was such a nice person, but she was also very kind of adrift and lost and was constantly going through these like ups and downs. And I'll never forget, she said this to me one day, you know, she was like, hey, Sam, do you want to like, let's do this after school or blah, 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 you know, let's go here. And and I was just, I, I, that was the beginning of my like journey. You know, I was like, nope, I have to study. You know, I have, to, I have exams next week. I want to be prepared and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I'll never forget. She was like, oh my God, Samra, you're so intense. <laughs> you're so intense. But I remember that not because she called me intense, but because I thought about it afterwards. I was like, of course I'm intense to her. I mean, we've had, we come from completely different backgrounds we come from completely different life experiences and so me walking on LMU's ground was like oh my god I'm here I can't believe I'm here I can't believe I made it I can't believe there was there's a space available for me here you know I'm just like this little girl from a from a village you know so that's how I looked at LMU and then she had a whole other perception of LMU. And that's when I learned and, and I realized that you have to take both perspectives into consideration. You can't be too quick to judge right away. But at the end of the day, there are some universal truths that I learned in your, in your class. And uh, we have to respect those universal truths, you know, and it's like, you know what, when you're given opportunities, you have to take care of those opportunities. You can, you have to be grateful. You have to work hard. You have to respect your teachers, your professors, 
You have to respect the knowledge that they have and that they could potentially share with you. I'm not saying now, oh yeah, look at your professor as like a, like a lieutenant, you know, don't speak back. <laughs> like, you know, not at all. But, right. but I was never made to feel that way anyway in any of my classes in the United States. I always mm. felt like I could say whatever I wanted. I could think however I wanted. I never, ever felt limited, you know, never, honestly, wholeheartedly, genuinely, you know, which is why at some point we also have to get into this whole like, cancel con culture and you know banning people and blah 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 because i think i think there's so much can be said about that you know honestly i think that if you are firm in your beliefs you don't have to be part of this whole cancel culture and it doesn't have to become like as dramatic as it has become because i still believe with from the bottom of my heart that america is one of the greatest countries i've ever been to and it's a country that's like offered me a home like the first country in my life where I felt whole again you know it uh, sounds weird but actually it's true you know and again wow. we can get into that another time like how that happened why that happened and you know but but I never really felt completely whole in Sweden although I loved Sweden and I was very grateful to Sweden I never really felt completely whole I felt like something was missing you know, like, oh, I don't know, I miss my country so much. I miss my culture so much. You know, I miss a certain way of interacting, all those things. And um, so that was something that I really longed for in Sweden. I was constantly like obsessing over my country and just like thinking about yeah. all these amazing memories and blah, 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 blah. So when I finished high school, I was like, what do I do now? Where do I go now? Yeah. And that's how I ended up in Croatia. So I actually moved to Croatia and I wow. lived there for two years. There happened, there, it just so happened that Did they you had go back this, home? Did you go back to Montenegro well, during that time? Well, Montenegro was only three, two and a half hours away by bus. So I was super yeah. attracted to that. Like, oh my God, I can go to this American college in Croatia. Not really paying attention to what am I going to study? Do I even care about these subjects? Am I even interested in this? I was just totally driven by this idea of, let me go to Croatia because I'll feel so close to Montenegro. And like, let's see what that feels like. You know, like, let's see what that feels like. So, yeah. yeah. The yeah. American college was called what? <laughs> ACMT was like American College of Management and Technology. So they are actually based in rochester new york i think or something like that and um but then they they created this small version of that college in croatia as a way to help croatia kind of rebuild croatia after the war because one of their number one resources income resources is hospitality you know hotels hospitality tourism so that's what that college was uh, focused on and it could not have been any further away from my passion of studying but whatever I was there for two years and I guess that served its purpose some type of a lesson in and of yeah. itself as well but right I was not supposed to go there for sure was there a language issue there in Croatia could could no, you no, understand no. everybody 
Of course, because remember, okay. they speak Croatian, which is the same exact language as the language in Montenegro, but we just have a very different they accent. They have a different accent. Okay. It's like American English and British English, maybe, oh, or okay. I don't know, uh, Southern yeah. accent versus California mm -hmm. accent or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. You're 22, and what happens at 22? You. Well, I am in Croatia now, I think, right? I'm in Croatia with mm -hmm. my with one of my best friends from Sweden. So we go there together. Oh, that's good that you had a friend. We got an apartment. My dad was thrilled that I was in Croatia because <laughs> later on, I understood that probably my dad was also hoping that, who knows, maybe in the future, we could all just the siblings could maybe we could kind of establish ourselves somewhere closer to home or something. I don't know, you know, gotcha. and, and then my sense. dad's experience of Croatia was always super positive, such a good country, beautiful country, all these things. So anyway, I lived there for two years. I genuinely, I have no idea how I was able to stay in those classes because I mean, I was totally failing academically. I wasn't <laughs> doing well at all. You didn't care just there was nothing to motivate me like i thought all those subjects were so boring but again, were the classes in english the classes were in english so i did wait how, well. now how did you get english well i went i attended this high school in, in sweden which was about an hour located an hour away from this small town here where we lived in um but that high school program offered everything in english so i was like oh my god that's exactly where i want to go gosh so, so you studied you went to high school in sweden in english yes i studied oh my all my classes were in english the only one obviously that wasn't in english was swedish but all my wow. other classes were in english history social studies religion oh geography gosh. everything everything was in english so even wow. though I had to commute about an hour one way and an hour back by bus every day, I still was adamant about like, no, I want to go to that high school because I really want to learn English. I want to improve my English skills. And so it's almost as if subconsciously I was preparing myself for this grand to go to Los Angeles arrival to the <laughs> land of freedom. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, to, to yeah, America, yeah. you know, so so yeah, I, I was there for three years. I graduated from high school three years later. You go to Sweden in high school for three years, you know? And I graduated. And then a few months later, I was in Croatia. So I think my high school teachers had like really high hopes, you know, like, oh my God, I'm probably going to go to this amazing school and I'm going to do great things and blah, 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 you know? Because I just had this fantastic connection with all my teachers in high school, and I was a really good student in high school. I loved high school. But I think my choice of school was very impulsive. And I was really driven by this kind of old dream of possibly reconnecting with my home country. Mm -hmm. And who knows, maybe finding myself again, you know, yeah. because, because you are kind of cutting to all these pieces, honestly, as a human being, you don't really know who you are at this point, you know, you're right. just like, Am I, do I belong here? Do I belong right. there? Am I this? Am I that? And, and on top of it all, as we were going back to Montenegro at this point during the summer to visit, 
family and friends, you know? Wow. What was that like? Well, it was amazing, but I definitely started to feel this kind of disconnect, even with my culture slowly, you know, because it's like, oh my God, I kind of forgot that it was like (laughs) this and that it was like that. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you can't question authority. Yeah. Yep. So then are you still a Muslim at this time? Because you're 20 something. Oh, at that time. While I'm while I'm in high school, oh, for but, sure. I'm well, like, no, I mean in Krush when you're going to Montenegro in the summer. Well, I Croatia. think so. I mean, yeah, I am Muslim, but I think I'm just gotcha. like really confused in in general. You know, I okay. have no idea what's Fair going enough. on. You know, but but um. Fair enough. But it's funny because I remember you assigning like this homework assignment at LMU. We had Me? to read. I assigned homework. What? We had to read about uh, the cave. The cave. Yes, the cave. Mm-hmm. You know when there are these three people in the cave, and mm-hmm. you know, and for some yeah. reason I that's don't in, remember that's why. in the Republic, Plato's Republic. The Republic. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Book seven. And I, I don't remember why, but we, I was sitting in my car and I was reading, I, I was doing my homework and I literally remember like crying while I was reading that because you were crying I, in your car at LMU. I no, actually it was outside of campus. Okay. I might've been waiting for someone or maybe I was waiting for an appointment or something. I don't know. I made I you cry. Kind of, And I, I just felt so emotional by reading that because I could, it's almost as if I could, there were so many points that I was able to connect to that particular story points from my own personal life. And I'm only mentioning this now because it made perfect sense to me why going back to Montenegro during these summers, I would feel so conflicted. I would feel like Oh my mm. God, what the hell happened? Like this used to be right. my home. This used to be that place of comfort. Everything made sense here. And it doesn't make sense anymore. Not everything is crystal clear. I'm noticing mm. things in the culture now that I don't necessarily like or that I don't necessarily support or that I don't necessarily feel comfortable with. And so you, I was like super conflicted between Sweden and my yeah. country and Swedish culture and my, my culture. And so it made a lot of sense by reading that assignment. I was like, oh my God, yes. I was that person that exited the cave and then things were super wow. uncomfortable. And then going back to the cave again was equally uncomfortable because guess what? You're no longer the same person you know, and that's why I think this culture of censoring and not allowing people to be different today and not encouraging people to be different and have different opinions from you and lifestyles from you and all of that. It's not good. You know, it's not good. It's Mm. really not good. How can I learn from you if I can't even talk to you as a human being, you know, you're saying that reminds you of, of how you, the, the parts of your childhood that you've come to now criticize for as an adult. Yeah. The parts parts that were from the small town. Is that fair to say? Yes. And also just in my opinion, the summary and the conclusion of 
that story of the cave, it's like, right. you know, you're not, your, your life isn't fully fulfilled when you're sitting there in that cave, but it's also not going to be fully fulfilled when you're outside of that cave. Mm. In fact, your life is going to be fully fulfilled when you are comfortable with both of those aspects of your life and yourself, you know, you know, like, like, I kind of don't like how today it's become, you're either a Republican or you're either a Democrat or you are, if you're a Democrat, you're not allowed to associate with Republicans because they might teach you this or that. Or sometimes if you associate with, with yeah. Democrat, you know, like I don't like that because mm -hmm. that's not my experience of the United States of America. It's not, hmm. you know, and I, again, I would love to get into this on, on a deeper level, because I think it could be really useful to many of your listeners, you know, to hear an outsider's perspective of America, because I think sometimes Americans don't understand how insanely amazing this country is and how lucky you guys are to be here with all the good and the bad things, you know, with all the negative and the positive. I still think America is one of the greatest countries. I really do, you know, uh, because Wow. of what it has meant to me you know and yeah. how it has allowed me to like grow and build myself and find myself and just learn so much about myself and you know like all those things so I, i'm amazed uh, samra that you have become and found yourself as a business woman that that to me is there's so many amazing things about you but the fact that you're in California and you're, you're like, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to be independent. I'm not going to work for anybody else. I'm going to work for my own company. It's kind of, I'm going to own it. It's my concept. Uh, it's my art. It's really artistic. What you're doing is every teaching experience is an art form. I think like when I, when I brought my, myself to the classes at LMU, I looked at it as a piece of art that I was creating. Like we're doing philosophy. We're teaching students a little logic. Uh, we're teaching them to respect um, critical thinking and critical dialogue, Socratic dialogue, um, interaction with the voices of the past that have survived criticism, at least some criticism. Uh, so there's some respect for tradition there as well. And I, I, it's an art form because there's so much that you can cover in any philosophy class. You leave stuff out. You include some things, which, what do you leave out? What do you include? Mm -hmm. You don't have a lot of time. The mm -hmm. students have very limited attention span. Mm -hmm. What do you, how do you do it? Well, you have to be kind of an artist about it. So, mm -hmm. and the way I look at what you do is you, you created something that didn't exist. You, you saw an opportunity, you saw a need to be filled. And you said me with my unique abilities and my passions and my giftings, you said, I will fill that. And that takes tremendous, uh, from my perspective, I think it's courage. Maybe you didn't feel afraid, but I, I feel like it's amazing to be able to start a business in California and make it flourish. Thank you. I appreciate that. But I also think as a teacher, as an educator, you know, you have to understand that 
the only the best way for you to be a good educator is to have a clear path of why are you even in this business? Let's call it the business of education. Okay, why are you in it? You know, because I feel like if you're in it just for the money, although money is important, although money, we need money to survive. But I think yeah. that if a person is in it only for the money, I think it's going to lose some of its real, true purpose, you know? Yeah. So I think in, in the field of education, sometimes these limitations that we are sometimes aware of and many times not aware of are implied in the classroom. And I realize that it's not for me. It's not for me. I don't think yeah. that you can tell someone how to teach a language. I think mm. it's the job of every teacher to figure out a way that's going to make it interesting, engaging, and also productive for your students to get something out of that class. Yeah. Yes. So because of my background, it's impossible for me to just teach you the language. I have to teach you the cultural aspects. I have mm -hmm. to introduce you to certain texts, certain literature that I know for a fact you have never been exposed to, okay? So that you can un fully understand the meaning of the word English or maybe the meaning of the words, the English language, okay? Right. Two or three years ago, I was doing some research and I came across this, this like statistic or whatever. Most of the information that ex exists in the world has been written in English or translated to English. Hmm. Most of the information that exists in the world has been written in English or translated to English. Okay. And so I was my i that that to me was like mind boggling like oh my god yeah so so what does that mean for the rest of us right. for all of us who don't speak english that means that this huge chunk of information huge chunk of amazing knowledge i'm literally cutting myself out of that i can't participate right. in that because it's in english so wow. i always wow. use this just as among many examples to my students, like you, uh, you cannot fall victim to your circumstances. Yeah. If you were kicked out of your country for whatever reason, okay, you are now here and you must flourish. You must wow. work hard. You must study. You must show this country what you are made of, you know? And so, so, um, I, you know, I don't mean to kind of jump from from this topic to that topic or blah, blah, blah. But, you know, politically, uh, right, some, right. sometimes the boogeyman is always like the immigrant, you know, like, oh, the bad immigrants coming in and taking your jobs. And, you know, I can see through that BS like no other, you know, because what these people are, they are individuals just like anybody else. And some of them are going to be crooked and some of them are going to be rotten. And some of them are going to be just really bad, lost, horrible individuals, a hundred percent. But to use the word immigrants as a way to identify all these other people who have done incredible things, who are doing incredible 
brave. May I use the word brave in its real nature, in its real form as it should be used? Because you know what? When you leave your country, a part of you is broken forever. You know, in that sense, I got bad news for you. When you leave yeah. your country, especially when you are forced to leave your country, I guarantee you, you're, you're going to end up somewhat of a broken individual for the rest of your life. And, and to a certain extent, you just kind of have to make peace with that. Like, okay, I'm never, ever going to fully be whole again, and that's okay. But how can I use these little parts of myself to try to create some type of, you know, reality for myself that, that works, you know? And so, so that's brave, you know, to leave family members behind, to leave all these people, your comfort behind your language, your culture, all these things, which I guarantee you, most, most people don't want to leave behind. They don't want to, but they have to, you Mm. know? And then of course, for all of us, or, or for most of us, America has been like the shining star, you know, like, I don't know how this happened, but like, I get so emotional when like it's 4th of July and I wasn't even born here, you know, like, I think it's such a beautiful celebration, you know, or President's Day. I don't care which president it is. I may not have liked Trump, but I would never have disrespected him because he's the president of the United States. You know, I have this kind of deep respect for this country that I just will never, ever disrespect you know what i mean or if it's like i don't know like i remember the funeral of john mccain like i was crying so much i i thought his life story was incredible you know even if i didn't necessarily maybe agree with everything that he stood for it did not matter you know his life story to me was just like incredible amazing you know so i don't know like is that um, what you meant when you said because i think earlier you said you look at my notes here. You said you learn. Um, I might have not got the, the quote no, down no. exactly, but <laughs> that you said something about learning from Democrats and Republicans, and that's why you don't like cancel culture and yeah. the censorship. Uh, is that what you meant? What did you mean by that? Yes, I I meant like when I first came to the United States, I knew nothing about Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I knew nothing. How old were you when you came to the U.S.? I was 21 or 22, I think, 22. 22. 22. So you went right from Croatia to to the U.S. To U.S. What city? Uh-huh. Um, or town? Which, oh, in L.A. Oh, I came directly you to came L.A. came directly to L.A.? Yes. Wow. Uh-huh. You didn't, you weren't messing around. You came right to Los no, Angeles. I came to, I came right to L.A. And then I was here for a couple of months. And then I went to New York for like four months, I think three, four months. And then I came back to LA again. So, um, you know, I knew nothing about Republicans, Democrats, or (laughs) any kind of American politics, but what I did know, hold on one second. Sorry. No problem. Uh, No problem. I appreciate it. Sorry about that. Okay. We're back. You're in the middle of amazing story. Okay. So I was saying that when I first came to the United States, to Los Angeles, I honestly knew nothing, really. I didn't know much about American politics. I didn't know Republicans, Democrats, none of that. But I did have certain like figures in my mind that kind of I really respected and like, like Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, for example, because <laughs> of 
what they did for former Yugoslavia, because, you know, they, we looked at them as kind of heroes, like they saved us from the war. Well, at least everyone outside of Serbia did, I would say. But so, yeah. Because, had, what did tell us everybody what, what uh, Bill Clinton did? Well, Bill Clinton initiated the bombing to make Serbs stop, to stop um, the war, essentially. And, you know, these brutal, uh, okay. Are Bill the Clinton, Serbs are the Serbs the Christians or the Muslims? I forget. The, uh, Serbs are predominantly Orthodox Christian, Orthodox okay. Christian. So, so yeah. So Bill Clinton had that bombing that he was administrated by him, I believe, and then that sort of helped stop the war in former Yugoslavia. And so, and that was in Kosovo that he bombed. Yes. He bombed like certain, uh, military, were in Kosovo. Okay. he was, he was, he bombed certain military bases, you know, uh, in, in like Serbia and even certain parts of Montenegro actually, but I mean, hmm. it, okay. it, uh, it stopped the conflict. It stopped the so war. You- so, you we come and you, 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 you're like, I like Clinton. I, I like, Hil- I like Hillary. I love, yes. I love, Cl- love I love them. Okay. I mean, I, I love, I respected them because of the idea that I had in my head, you know, that, um, and, and to be honest okay. to this day, although I know more about them now, I, I still think like we were saying earlier, I still think it's so important. How can you call yourself an individual thinker? Uh, and not an emotional thinker, if you're not able to look at someone like Hillary Clinton and say, okay, politically, I disagree with her a million percent, but let me just give her credit where credit's due, such as, you know, being a woman in the United States during the times that she was going to law school. And it wasn't just, yeah, yeah, go to law school. You're a woman, you're welcome. You know, for those things, I really respect her. And I think she has very thick skin and I I appreciate that. And, and I'm inspired by that, you know, as a woman, you know, I think it's important to have a thick skin and not just, you know, fall victim to everything that people think of you and the way people see you. So yeah, even to this day, I I'm able to separate the things I don't agree with and things I agree with or, or look up to in a person, you know, uh, most of the time, I think so. So yeah, but so, so coming to LA, I had no knowledge, prior knowledge about American politics and, you know, Republicans and Democrats. And so my very first experience on Santa Monica campus was this. I was taking a class and for a commencement, uh, governor at the time Schwarzenegger was invited to come and give a speech or something like that a commencement speech at Santa Monica College this is Santa Monica College okay yes it's a community college and it's in Los Angeles it's in the far west part of Los Angeles County yes yes okay and I remember one of the professors I forgot which class I was in but she was like okay so we're not going to shake his hand and, you know, we're not going to, you know, there was some type of protest against what he stood for or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So I remember that was my first introduction to Arnold, like, Oh, he's the bad guy. You know, he's the bad guy. Well, he's a Republican. So 
exactly later <laughs> on i was yeah, able okay. to you, got it. you got know it. same thing with george bush for example you yeah. know it was like oh my god george bush won and today george bush is one of my i would say one of my favorite americans not necessarily one of my favorite presidents but one of my favorite americans i think first of all he has an amazing sense of humor you can't beat his sense of humor. Are you talking about George W. Bush? Yes, I'm talking about <laughs> W. Yes. All right. Gotcha. So, w. So, wow. Yeah. So, you are a fully American now. Well, I mean, I, I just really appreciate him as a human being. You know, I think that gotcha. maybe he wasn't the best president. That's fine. But I think he's an amazing American, you know. And so I'm sharing these things. Why? Because when I came here not knowing anything about republicans democrats none of that right. stuff no political history really these little ideas are kind of you're introduced like oh the bad yeah. guy oh yeah. the bad people you know bad people yeah. right but what does it boil down to it boils down to this the immense power that you have as a human being educate yourself so whether mm. you are in the united states whether you are in saudi arabia whether you are in former yugoslavia ideas are gonna be thrown at you i'm sorry to tell you ideas concepts feelings emotions uh, opinions are gonna be thrown at you but you gotta be ready to play ball you know and you gotta be ready to kind of okay well that's what she thinks but what is it really about, you know? So right. that's what I learned at LMU specifically through your course that you don't have to necessarily attach yourself hardcore to this one idea, to this one way, to this, that. play ball, you know, be ready, be ready. You never know what that person has to say. And so at least I'll hear you out. Let's see if we can have a conversation or maybe not have a conversation, you know. So these little ideas were kind of thrown at me at the beginning that I wasn't yeah. aware of. Yeah. But I later on realized, oh, yeah, that's why I thought of maybe Arnold was the bad guy, but he's actually not really a bad guy. He has an amazing life story. He's an immigrant. He's an, I mean, what an amazing <laughs> immigrant story he has. Yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. So many reasons. If you need someone to look up to or be inspired by someone, so many reasons to look at that guy and be like, okay, I don't agree with you politically, but I think you've done an amazing job in your own personal life with all the things you've accomplished or whatever, you know? Right, right. And I feel like sometimes today it's really hard for people to do that because it's like, no, 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 but I can't be inspired by, by what you've done. <laughs> There's all these rules. Exactly. So, so in other words, you got to LA well, actually, New York and L.A. are both heavily Democrat areas, he mm -hmm. heavily. And um, so you got here and you you picked up from the social cues that there's certain rules for social acceptance. Predominantly, not always, but predominantly, you're supposed to hate this party or this person. You're supposed to believe this and not believe that. Did you find that there was a lot of healthy, critical analysis, critical thinking, people thinking for themselves, or do you, did you find that there, there was a lot of room for improvement on that? So going back to what we were talking about earlier, 
today I believe that wherever you find yourself in life at this very moment, like May 4th, 2022, 11, 10 a.m., okay, wherever you find <laughs> yourself in life at this very moment, your life experience is literally an accumulation of a bunch of different things that have happened to you, that you have experienced, that you have learned from, not learned from, or whatever, you know? So that's what I know now, okay? That's what I know now. And back then, I didn't necessarily understand that in its fullest form, okay? So yeah, I was more naive for sure, and I was more gullible for you sure. You mean at 23 years old, you were yeah, naive? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's for that's sure. older than most of your classmates at LMU when you mm -hmm. went there. Mm -hmm. okay. for sure you know because it's like oh what about this what about that you know da 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 you know so well, I what kind of experience before you got to lmu did you have any experience that helped you process well i was at santa monica college for two years two and a half years but uh you have to remember this was my first time living in america this was right. my first time living completely by myself millions of miles away from everybody from my family i was experiencing this brand new culture which was unlike anything else i had experienced before to me americans were such like curious people they always wanted to talk which is very unusual in sweden people always kind of keep their distance don't want to talk you know, I made so many friends, I got to know so many new people. So it was like, that kind of a time in my life, you know, um, and everything I had seen in TV shows and movies about college life, totally matched my experience. It was really? Just, yeah, it was so cool. Like, wow, like the like campus, what? you know, the campus, like, yeah. all the kids running to their classes. And uh -huh then you have all these, I don't know, like, like a little military stand where they try to recruit you to, to go to the <laughs> military. And then you have the anti-abortion people, you know, and like, like, oh my God. There were, me, there like, were Republicans on Santa Monica City. Well, Park? there were definitely like little stands of okay. just people kind of protesting different things. Yeah, sure. Trying to get your attention. And, you know, I thought that was so amazing. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like, all did you have a favorite class there? At Santa Monica, I had several favorite classes. I had Tell us about those. a sociology class that I really liked. I had these Italian classes. I loved wow. my Italian professor. I, I think I, I still credit him to this day. Like he really helped me to to learn what it what it is to be a good language teacher you know i, th I, I thought he was an amazing language teacher how instance. many languages would you say that you're comfortable with using seven different languages seven yes what are they okay we already know albanian we know so albanian serbo-croatian swedish english obviously uh spanish italian and portuguese i'm like really comfortable oh with seven but my French isn't bad, but I don't like to consider myself like fluent if I am not like super duper fluent. Like I'll give you an example. I have these courses, absolute beginners courses, English from scratch courses that I teach 
and I teach both of them. One I teach in Spanish and the other one I teach in Portuguese. So unless I'm- Wait, you speak unless... English? Hold on a sec. Let me write that down. You speak English. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. <laughs> Seven <laughs> languages, Samra? Yes, yes. But, but you have to understand that doesn't include all the languages that I can understand because of Serbo-Croatian. I can understand uh, Russian. I can understand Bulgarian. I can understand Slovakian, you know, Macedonian. Because of Swedish, I can understand Norwegian. I can understand Danish. You know, in fact, when I was a student in Croatia, there was this Danish woman there and I became really good friends with her. And so she would speak to me in Danish and I would respond in Swedish, you know, because they are similar languages. They, they are Germanic languages. So you can't just kind of pretend like, okay, that's not also a part of who you are, you know, but I also studied Greek at LMU. I won a scholarship in 2010 and I went to Greece for a month and studied Greek intensively. And wow. then I also studied Arabic through my students. So, you know, there are all these other languages that are kind of a part there in the background, but the seven are the ones I'm really comfortable with. I can carry a conversation and no problem, you know? Wow. Um, so, yeah, I don't remember exactly where this was. Uh, oh, you were saying you were at Santa Monica. You took your favorite classes, sociology. See, I take, I'm taking good notes mm-hmm. you, and you had an Italian professor. Mm-hmm. So then when you said Italian, I said, hold on. <laughs> Is this one of the languages? Yep. And he was one of my most amazing professors ever because of the way he taught a language, like just like such an organized way of teaching. And he really made me understand grammar for the first time in my life. Like, oh, this isn't just a bunch of rules. All of this is somehow connected and it's useful for us to know. But wow. I wouldn't be Samra today if I didn't credit one of my absolute favorite teachers from Santa Monica College, Mr. Green, Terry Green. Uh, You see, I going to Sweden, we had this, I mean, being a student in Sweden, we had this option of skipping classes that somehow made us uncomfortable. So like math, I was just never good at math. And so it made me feel uncomfortable because you know, you're, you're constantly the only kid in class that doesn't get anything, you know? So it's like, well, if I'm given the opportunity to skip this, of course I will. Mm. Right. So I just kept putting it off, putting it off. "Eh, I'll take the, I'll take the exam next year. Okay. No problem. I'll take it next year. So I never, ever got into math. Okay. Moved to the United States only to realize that if I want to transfer to a university, I must get these basic math courses out of the way. Mm. And so I tried so hard, like, okay, well, maybe there's a way for me to like pass this somehow without studying or blah, blah, blah. Obviously, that's not going to happen. You know, logic well enough to know that I was simply fooling myself to believe that. And so I failed the first class. I failed the second class. And so the third attempt. Mr. Green teaching these classes? No, that's the thing. He wasn't teaching these classes. And so I'm trying to use him as an example as someone who introduced me to a topic that I essentially had hated all my life, you know, but, but he introduced me to this topic in such a unique Mm. way 
that it also taught me a very important life lesson, honestly, you know? Uh, so, so I failed the first class, failed the second class. And so I'm presented with this ultimatum, like, okay, well, either you have one last chance to, to pass this math course. Otherwise, you have to go to another college and try to take it. And so that was not an option whatsoever for me. So I had to really put my heart and soul into this class and try to pass it. Wow. Just by sheer coincidence, I run into one of my friends, uh, this older uh, black woman at Santa Monica College, who was a really good friend of mine. And she's like, oh my God, Samra, oh my God, I have the solution for you. You have to take Mr. Green's class. So I go to his whatever classroom and there's like a huge line of students outside waiting I'm guessing to sign up for his class. So was he, was he black? No, Mr. Green. A white, yes, white, white, white teacher, white guy. Okay. Uh, he basically had like a super long history there at Santa Monica. I guess he had been teaching for years and years and years, and so he was definitely a veteran. And at that point, it became clear to me: okay, this isn't just a teacher. This is a special teacher because everyone wants to take his classes you know? So anyway, I, I get, it's my turn to talk to him. And he's like, okay, how may I help you? You know? And I was like, well, I really need your class. And he cuts straight to the chase. He's like, why do you need my class? And I'm like, please, please, without this class, I won't be able to, to, you know, to graduate. And I really need to graduate. He's like, but why should I, he's like, you still haven't told me why I should, why should I allow you to be in my class? And I'm like, well, I promise, I promise I'll work really hard. Like I'm literally pleading at this point, you know, cause I need this desperately, not only so that I can graduate, but also my scholarship money that was coming from Sweden was, you know, I need this, you know? So I'm like desperate, you know, please, please, please. He's like, all right. And he literally shakes hands with me right then and there. And he's like, I'll let you sign up for this class. I'll give you the registration number right now, only if you promise me that you will pass this course, you know? And you know, no one had ever put such trust on me when it came to numbers, you know, and when it came to this subject that I despised. So I took that so seriously, so seriously, and then walked into his classroom with utmost respect. I'm like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to pass this course just to learn that also his way of teaching was extremely encouraging so he always had this sign this sentence written on the board saying math is beautiful and he always started every single math uh, every single math course every single math class with some kind of a math joke so i kind of loved it because it really took off the edge, you know, like that intensity, because I was right away worried, like, oh, my God, I'm going to be the only one who doesn't understand anything. Oh, my God, I'm not wow. going to know. Blah, blah. So his way of explaining introduced me to math in a completely different way. And he made me math literate, like the basic knowledge that I think everyone needs to know when it comes to math. He gave that to me, you know, so the big life lesson there for me was like, never have that attitude where it's like, oh, I'm not good at that. So I can't learn it. That's not necessarily true. 
Have you actually tried to learn it? Have you actually given it, given it your best? Have you actually attempted to understand it? And the answer was so clear to me. It was like, nope, I had not. You know, and not only did I pass his courses, but I passed them with flying colors. You know, I, was, I did really, really well. And so shout out to Professor Green. Amazing. Is he amazing, still alive? Amazing. I think was, so. Was he I mean, old when you took him? He was probably in his early 60s, late 50s. Maybe. Did you ever go back and tell him? I did once. I did go back and tell him. I That's went good. to his office and I told him. And I think he remembered me like vaguely because it was like year, a few years after I had taken his gotcha. course. But, you know, wow, I said, that's you... cool. So, yeah. How, so... how did that inspire you in your teaching? Did you were you able to take any lessons about any any kind of lesson from about teaching? Yeah, I mean, just because you're a teacher doesn't mean you know everything doesn't right. mean you that's have right. every single subject you have mastered every single subject and I don't see myself as that teacher. I'm always, always open to learn, you know, have I possibly figured out a few cool tricks when it comes to language teaching that, you know, might be a little bit neat, a little bit different. Yeah, sure. But that doesn't make me like a master teacher, you know, and this right. isn't like, you know, the fake humble that many people do these days, <laughs> like, Oh, I'm not worthy. Please, I'm not worthy. You know, no, no, no. It's not that at all. It's just like, um, you know, there's still a ton of space for me to learn and improve and get better. But I think he just reminded me, you, you are, why are you in this? And when I looked at that guy, it was clear to me, he's in it because he sees something in math that us, you know, we poor bastards don't see. And he needs to show us like, why, why should I learn this? Why should I bother with this? You know, because a really common, I would argue, I could be wrong, but I think a really common argument that comes from people who don't like math or who just have this really negative attitude towards math is like, eh, I don't need it. I know the basics, one plus one, 10 plus 10. When am I ever going to use this? But I realized through his classes, when I was learning how to solve equations, I'm like, oh my God, I'm exercising my brain in a way where my logic is also being exercised. Yeah. You know, and, and honestly, later on in life, you realize decision-making is connected right. to that type of, you know, solving yes. equations. Is this right. a good solution? Is this a bad solution? Is this right. the only solution? Are there other solutions, you know? Right. You know, Absolutely. I would have never known that had it not been for the tr tr transmission of his knowledge, you know, and my willingness to take in his knowledge and accept his knowledge, you know? So did that yeah. math class transfer to LMU? It did. All oh, of those cool. math classes transferred. Um, in, in fact, I should say those classes, math classes that I needed to pass were the ticket to this statistics class, which would then be transferred to LMU. So gotcha. the statistics class was the one, you know, the gotcha. transferable one, but you couldn't get there unless you uh, finish these classes first. You okay. Know? So. I got gotcha. you. Mm -hmm. And then, by the way, you know, 
he having these classes these classes with him and gaining getting used to his teaching style and then you know I had one course with him and then I had the following course with him I was like yes and then I'm like please the last one turns out he doesn't teach that course so it's like another huge life lesson mm. for me oh what do I do now do I just give up because Mr. Right. Green isn't no and then I had this uh not the best teacher necessarily, but she was a really nice person. But what I learned through that experience is my determination to learn my I had already decided I don't give a damn, I'm going to do whatever it takes to pass this course. So you see, I didn't focus on her not being the best teacher, I did what I had to do. And I passed that course. That's that's what mattered. You focused you on yourself. Exactly. I didn't get in there with this attitude, you know, oh, she's not going to teach me. She's not going to be a great teacher. Is it a blessing if you have an amazing teacher? Come on. Of course it is. But you're not always going to have an amazing teacher. So what happens then? What happens then? And there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn. And there's so much work to do. That's why when you say these like, things that happen on college campus, like the protests and, you know, hating Republicans and stuff. I just think that what is that taking the place of you have so much work and to, to learn. I mean, mm. that's what college is for. And there's so many distractions from that and so many just false ways to feel good about yourself for a moment that just have nothing to do with growing as a as your own individual as a thinker as a future business owner right yes but you know to a certain extent i don't know how you feel about this but i've kind of come to to have somewhat of a sympathy towards many college student uh, college professors and college teachers because they kind of remind me of language teachers i think <laughs> i think that you know just because you are proficient in English and just because you're like really good at English, that's your native language. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to feel comfortable teaching that to other students. So I've noticed in the teaching English teaching community, for example, many teachers are very nervous about correcting their students, for example, right? Uh, It's like, Oh, I don't want to offend you. I don't want you to feel bad. How do you feel about that? Do you correct? Oh, I love it. That's like the first thing I always tell my students. How how do you do it? How do you do it? I always tell them this. I, I reference back to a staff meeting that we had at a school that I was working with. excuse me that I was working at a private school I was a teacher an English teacher for like a few years and it was a really great experience I I learned a lot from that but I also learned that that type of teaching style isn't really for me you know so I remember once um, the manager had a meeting with all the staff teachers blah 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 and so she said oh by the way don't correct your students, like, don't correct them, you know, you know, you never know, they might be sensitive and blah, 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 blah. And although her intentions were good, I know her intentions were good, no doubt about it. Right away, I was like, Oh, my God, this is BS. And I'm not gonna (laughs) apply this to the classroom. Like, I'm not gonna apply this to the classroom. So like, (laughs) the first thing I always tell my students is I tell them that story. And I tell them, I'm not going to be that teacher. I am going to correct you because some of my best teachers 
corrected me and they so you tell them me absolutely right up front. i tell them and it's always super well received and it's always very popular you know it's like yes thank you teacher i appreciate mm. it you know because yeah, because it's clear and then they don't have to try to read through the the uh, subtle subtle non-spoken non-written rules and try to figure out do i have that rule right or am i missing something mm -hmm. you just say it you just clearly mm -hmm. say no that's wrong <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and here's the and, right way and i think you become more comfortable doing that the more comfortable you become with yourself you know and and it should never be one of those like point. well this is my opinion take it or leave it. no you know but right but i'm right. okay disagreeing or having my own opinion, I'm totally okay with that. I don't, I'm well, not attached to this idea of others must accept me in order for me to accept myself. I'm not really. What, what you did know? you get your, your bachelor's degree in? Modern languages. Okay. That was my major. And then my minor was modern Greek history. So how did you get into teaching your first class, your first English class? How, uh, how did you find yourself teaching English as a profession? In all honesty, I was just really desperate for a job and I really needed a job. And so I went on Craigslist and just looked for any English teaching jobs because I figured mm. that could work for me, you know, or that might work for me. And so I was called in to this private school as a substitute teacher, it was supposed to be just like for a few days and then a few days turned into a month and then a month turned into a full-time position. So in all honesty, I had no teaching teacher training. I had no like certificates or anything like that. I just kind of threw myself into that classroom and did what I thought would be the best thing to do. And it it really worked out well um, in that case, especially because the students were like petitioning for me to become like a full-time teacher. And so I think we just clicked automatically, all of us, because of our backgrounds. And I feel like I really, really understand so much that sense of feeling nervous and scared and anxious and to speak in English and you also don't want to sound dumb and you don't want to sound yeah. stupid and you don't want other people to be like, what, what are you saying? <laughs> I don't understand you. You know, I get all of that, you know, but do, do you have someone help you with the technology or are you just good at technology? How do you figure out all the technology well, stuff that you need luckily, to do? Luckily, all the technology stuff is relatively simple. You know, I also, I'm big on doing like YouTube tutorials and I'll just okay. like teach myself. So for example, when I started with everything, I just had no idea how to, you know how it is when you start, when you first start your company, you have no idea what to do. You have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. How do I get students? How do I, you know, it's like all these Kind of did stressful. you just did you take your laptop and go to the coffee shop and watch YouTube video after YouTube video or did you talk with friends? Well, uh, did you lock uh, yourself in the apartment until you figured it out? How did honestly, you do it? honestly, it's crazy. But sometimes making silly decisions is ends up working out for you because I think <laughs> it 
I swear, I think it kicks you out of that comfort zone and it pushes you to do things that you normally wouldn't have. So here's the silly decision. Number one, I just felt (laughs) so comfortable and confident in my teaching abilities that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to quit this job and I'm just going to start my own, my own little company. You know, at that point I was yeah, I was like the most popular teacher because I kept winning. They had these like award things every semester that was totally, I, I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't designed by me. That's just something that they practiced. And so students chose like their favorite teacher. And I was constantly chosen as like the best teacher, blah, blah, blah. So I felt really confident, like, okay, you know what? I think I have something. I think I know how I can help people overcome all these different language barriers you know but see you don't just leave your job you don't just like cut out your entire income and then okay let's do this you know you maybe cut hours maybe instead of being a you know a full-time you are a part-time and so because you're part-time you're trying to figure out this small little business on the side but see I didn't do that I went straight into it you know And now when I think back to it, first of all, I would never have done that now the way I think now, but I'm happy I did it because it pushed me. It really kicked me and pushed me to enter into all these uncomfortable zones that I knew nothing about, you know, so I could speed up the process of making a name for myself and getting myself out there on social media and learning how to manage social media and how to handle social media and how to put yourself out there and all these things, you know? So that's how I did it, honestly. And um, next thing, you know, for example, nowadays, I, I rarely ever teach individual, I mean, individual classes, unless it's, if you remember, I was introduced to a few like, you know, public figures or whatever, you know, that needed my help. And so unless it's like that type of a project, I don't I think I met the public figure you're talking about at his home. Yes. And then that public figure led to a bunch of other public figures, you know, Mm -hmm. so unless it's that kind of a project, but even there, I'm very picky and choosy because I want to make sure that my time is invested in the right way and that I am of, of, you know, that I am of help, of real genuine help to the students. So Nowadays, I just teach group classes, you know, and like students get together online and we have classes, you know, and we, That's awesome. we learn English and we learn languages and we learn all these different things. So, and you're able to make enough, doing. you're able to make enough money to live in a very expensive area. Oh, absolutely. And there's so much more money to be made in this business. You know, there's really? just like, oh my God. Yes. Like this is tell me how (laughs) well well i mean the the need for the language right for the english language is immense immense and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and especially in you know in the latin american side of the world you know because you know we're just getting more and more and more globalized and that's where your spanish helps a lot my spanish and my portuguese you know wow you have no idea how much it helps, you know? So, so, um, so yeah, the, in these countries, because see, if you're speaking about a country like Sweden, you'll Mm -hmm. go to Sweden and like 
every other person speaks English so well, it's like mind boggling. You're going to be like, oh, okay, well, maybe English is a second language here. No, it's not. But it's just that we are exposed to the language, the English language at a very young age. See, that's Do you not consider yourself Swedish? No, no, no. Okay. No, do you consider no. yourself American? No, I don't. Do I consider, consider myself. What do you consider yourself? Uh, Albanian from Montenegro. That's Al- for sure. So you're still Albanian. Yes. Are you still Muslim, or do you want to talk? Not want to talk mm, about that? No, I mean it's you not can even, you can steer away if you if you to don't, be honest, it's not even steering away. I just when it comes to religion, it's a little bit different for me. You know, I'm not necessarily attached to any like religious belief in the sense where I just practice it or go to church or go to the mosque. But, but I think I have, to a certain extent, I have respect for religion, you know, and so I'm just like, do your students uh, ever ask you these questions or is that too personal for them? Sometimes they do, especially because of my name. Because I have an Arabic name. And so, especially if it's someone who speaks Arabic, they'll always be like, are you Muslim? You know, are you, you know. Your, your so name is like, Arabic? I didn't know that. Yeah, it is. It's an Arabic name for sure. In fact, it's an Arabic word. And so, What's it mean? speak Arabic. Uh, it's, it means, from what I understand, it means like a woman that is tanned. So like a tanned woman. That's literally what it means. Wow. And so... If you speak Arabic, how do you say your last name? Uh, well, the, 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 the authentic pronunciation is Dreshevich, Dreshevich. Uh, but okay. then there is also like the Albanian version, as I call it, which is Dreshai. So many, many years ago, when my ancestors immigrated to Montenegro from Albania, their last name was Dreshai, but they kind of changed it to Dreshevich as a way that sounds to like just Slavic. Exactly. Slavic. Okay. To assimilate. Easier to uh, assimilate. Yes. Gotcha. Exactly. Oh, exactly. okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you, you're, there's so many things, man. There's so, <laughs> it's amazing what you've been able to do in America that so many Americans, I feel like, wouldn't feel like they could do i think that the a number of challenging challenging times you've had in your life have has shaped you but also it must be your personality as well because you're very curious you're hardworking. thank you thank you you don't you, you're very industrious like if you don't know how to start a business if you don't know something about technology you're like okay i'm gonna learn that today <laughs> You know, a lot of people don't do that. They would just, you know, wivel up. But honestly, stop and think about, like, I can think about my childhood. You can think about your childhood. Right. Did we have technology? No. Did we have cell phones? Did we have the internet? We did not. So even then we were able to learn many things. Imagine today, imagine today, I would be a fool to sit and wait for someone to, to, to teach me something, if I can teach myself that, you know what I mean? And, and you're not necessarily yeah. going to be 
maybe I'm not a pro video editor. I'm not yeah, a pro yeah, yeah. social media post creator, but man, I've taught myself really well. So it's like, yeah. you know, sometimes that's that big illusion. You know, I can't get started unless or until, oh, I have all these means and all these opportunities and, you know, but that's not true. That's not true. You, can, you do what you can with what you have, you can, know? Can we ask you a, a question or two about what your day is like? Like, are you an early riser? Do you have breakfast in the morning, coffee? What time do you go to bed? How many hours a week so, do you work? So I, I'm definitely an early riser. So I usually wake up 5.30, 5.45. You know, I really enjoy waking up early. Do you Although set an alarm? I, you have an alarm? Yes, I do have an alarm. Although I have this like complicated relationship between the night and the morning because I love them both, you know? So oh, wow. it's like a part of me tortured to stay awake like just because of the silence and because everything is dark and quiet uh -huh. and silent you know but then in the morning there's also that sense of silence you know not everyone has woken up yet and yes all those things but i like mm. to wake up early and i must wake up early because many of my students are on a completely different time zone so i have to make myself available to them um I, so for example, it's all, it's almost noon. I haven't eaten breakfast because I practice this thing called intermittent fasting, which I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah. Um, so I've heard it's of it. supposed to be really good for your health and for, has some great health benefits and energy, uh, and uh, longevity. So I like it a lot, you know, it works for me. So I don't, so you anything. never, you never have breakfast. No, I don't eat anything until noon. No, no breakfast. Usually. No breakfast. I don't what about know. coffee? You can have black coffee if you want, but you know, I have this very, well, what do you have when you wake up? I don't, I just drink water. I don't have anything, you know, just I just water. Drink water. Yep. So this wow. would be probably my third bottle or second bottle today. I don't So you only have water and then you light a cigarette. You light a cigar. Absolutely. No cigars, no cigarettes, okay. none of that. Stuff. Only, only marijuana. <laughs> Only marijuana for Samra. Hell Her no. Heroin? No marijuana. No way. None no of heroin? that stuff okay. for Samra. But it's Meth? Because you, you, you mentioned my personality, you know? Mm -hmm. I think I, I'm able to like psych myself up so much just with my personality. And it's this sense of gratitude. To, gratitude. gratitude is key gratitude okay. so if water I wake and up gratitude in the morning and i have water and gratitude that's what psychs me up in the morning you know because okay. if i'm gonna I don't ask you gratitude a... okay i'm gonna ask you a philosophical you know, question have... <laughs> oh, oh dude am i ready for this am i ready well for you this question? gratitude gratitude assumes you're thanking somebody so who are you thanking probably God in my case, I usually thank God. You know, I always say, thank God for this. Thank God for that. You know, yeah, that's something you do say I grew that. up with. So I always thank God. You gotcha. know, I always okay. say, thank God for this. Even, you know, God willingly, I usually, I like yeah. to use that a lot. Very cultural. You know? mm -hmm. And then, so, so you have water do you, and you go to the shooting range and you go shoot 
at the shooting I, range no, for I've hours? I've never, never been to a shooting range. Would never. you like to go? Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure, actually. <laughs> okay. I think I'm scared, to be honest. You're scared? I think I'm scared. Like, There's a shooting range near LMU that I could take you to if you want to yeah. go. It's called LAX Ammunition. It's you on know, Manchester. And I'll take you. I've taken former students before. I could take you to train you if you want. You know, um, it's funny because I remember once you mentioned that, you know, you were like, hey, what about a shooting range? And I'm like, oh, my <laughs> it God, is jolting. No, not a shooting no range. <laughs> it is. It's jolting to your body. It's very loud. Some people don't like guns. Are you afraid of guns? I mean, <laughs> sorry for putting you on the spot. No, no, no. You're not putting me on the spot. It's just maybe not something I've necessarily thought about too much. I think probably many people when we see a gun it's like okay you know but i understand not me guns i'm like protection. what kind of gun is that <laughs> yeah but you're also the republican professor that's let's true be really that let's, is very true be, i know how i know how republicans feel about their guns <laughs> i know how republicans feel about their second amendment i know that innocent okay? is charged <laughs> yes but i mean you know, all jokes aside and all of that, I don't know. It's just not something I'm, I'm interested in to tell you to truth. Gotcha. I'm just okay. not. Well, the offer stands. So you have water, you have gratitude. What do you have for lunch? When noon comes, is it like Ramadan at, the, at night? <laughs> I usually prepare my meals like two, three days ahead of time. I love to cook. Uh, I think I'm a pretty good pretty good cook. I like to prepare my meals. So probably today I'll have, uh, you know, a little bit of mashed potatoes, maybe some, a little piece of my stuffed peppers and wow. a little bit of a salad. And then I'll have a coffee, you know, because if I okay. have it very early in the morning, mm. it's going to be Acidic. not so good for me to be Acidic, honest. Yeah. Not only that, but also very jittery and just too much energy. And I don't like to feel that way before class. Are you, you vegetarian? No. Do you not drink? Okay. No, no, no. Then what do you have for dinner? Do you have a dinner at all? Yeah. Yeah. I'll have maybe whatever, like I said, whatever I've made, you know, like uh, maybe I'll have some meat with rice and a salad, you know, or I'll have grilled chicken legs. I love to grill chicken legs, uh, you know, with some rice and salad, you know, whatever I have made, I'll just have that for dinner. And, you know, there you go, you know, but when dinner is over, usually I have until 8 p.m. No more eating, you know, it's like drink okay. water, but no more eating. Yes. After mm -hmm. eight, no more. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Samra, we are so grateful that you've come on to the Republican professor podcast, a former student, a dear student um, and wonderful business owner and teacher in your own right. Isn't, isn't that like an amazing American dream story? Yes. Like you have this girl, little girl from a village who somehow ends up at this podcast called The Republican Professor in the United States of America. In I Los Angeles. That, yeah. I think in Los Angeles, <laughs> yeah. yes, that yeah, is yeah. to be emphasized. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have to talk about this another time as well, because sometimes I wonder sure. if it's tough for Republicans to live in a state 
like California, you know, because for example, one of my friends, girlfriend, she is a Republican and I think she's very extremely outspoken and has all these ideas about the government, government control and all these things, right? This is one of your friends? My One of my friend's girlfriend. and One of um, your friend's friends. Yes. Okay. And I think she is a really nice person, but sometimes I wonder to myself, like, you know, she complains a lot about how awful California is, you know? And so I wonder, wouldn't it be better than to move to maybe another state that aligns more with your political views? I mean, if it's really that torturous, because it really comes off as that sometimes, you know, like mm. she's kind of like tormented by all these laws in California and la la la, you know, by the way, I did say when I came to the US, I didn't know anything about Republicans and Democrats. That doesn't make me some kind of an expert today, but I've learned a lot more for sure. I've learned a lot more since then, but I'm still not some kind of expert in the subject, you know, but yeah, I've learned so much more, you know? Yeah. And so those are things that I'm very curious about. Sometimes it's like, huh, what's life like for a Republican <laughs> who lives in a state like California, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I'd be happy to share that with you at some point if you want. Go, and, 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 you we'll know, get a coffee afternoon, afternoon, yes, we'll get a coffee. Yes. Why not? Take for you. sure take you to the and shooting let's range. do let's do another maybe we can do another podcast again because, sure absolutely I, mean, I wanted to be sensitive to you to, to in this uh, we really appreciate spending all this time with us and, and going long form like joe rogan style that's how joe mm -hmm. rogan does it long form and and just getting a deep rich sense of your background and uh what life was like in your childhood um, as you said, it was the happiest time of your life, right? It even hap even happier than today. But can it be happier than today? You're an adult. Back then, you were a child. You know, yeah. like I think those are two completely different gotcha. chapters of your life. So I think yeah. if I were a child right now, I would want to have that kind of a life. If that makes gotcha. Sense. No, it makes perfect mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, just that rich detail and texture that you provided. I think you have given people uh, a snapshot of a different life. And I think it's very helpful for our audience to have Thank been you. to and, and also giving a rich background to your observations of America. And every time you describe america i listen very carefully of course i listen very carefully to everything you're saying but mm -hmm. but especially when you describe america because i'm so interested in how a thoughtful curious studious outsider like yourself who has respect for older people respect for tradition oh, thinks 100%. of it because you're not sloppy and you're not lazy and you're not in what i call entitled um no no, you're, you are, you're so old school in the best way. And, um, so I'm enriched every time I, I spend time with you. I don't spend much time with you very often, but every once in a while, um, we do get together and I get to meet some of your students, including some famous students and thank you. And it's thank just, you. it's just great. So you're always welcome. But I was, I was sensitive to the questions I would ask you because I also know, 
that you run a business and, and I, I didn't want to, I wanted to be sensitive to you trying to run a business in California. And I didn't know what kind of political issues come up with that with your customers. So no, no, there are no, no political issues. Okay. I feel like I've never had this sense of freedom. That, you're that you're totally word. against cancel culture. I know that. That's why I asked you. So. I mean, yeah. I am. I just don't think it serves any useful purpose. I look I at either. it as I look at it as these like little. I think it's actually harmful because it 100, prevents people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it prevents mm-hmm. people from thinking. Because you're constantly wondering, you're processing through, you're processing your own thoughts with a foreign filter that's not you. It's it's mm-hmm. some rule that you think you sh- you're supposed to obey. Uh, otherwise, there's consequences. And, and then you can't have your own thoughts. And other people can't get your thoughts. And again, if <laughs> just the things that came up during this podcast, yeah. You know, you're born in this place, then you move here, then there's another culture, then there's another way of thinking, then you go here, then you go there. Right. What if you do that with this mindset? You know, like I'm going to do exactly how I want and if you dare to say anything to me, then we have a problem. Yeah. You know, I think just regardless of what we think of censorship and how I try to be aware of it in my personal life, you know, I think as human beings, we're always going to be sensitive to critique yes, and to negative opinions of us. That's just That's human right. nature. That's just That's human right. nature. You know, it's like, That's oh right. my God, I'm being critiqued. What have I done? You know, it's probably something ancestral, you know, yeah, is activated to the point where it's like, oh my God, I'm doing something wrong. I'm in trouble, blah, 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 whatever. So I, I'm aware (laughs) of that. I know that exists, but you have to be aware enough to not allow that to control your life and control who I'm friends with and who I'm having conversations with and who I can talk to and can't talk to. Not a chance, not in my life. So, so that's how I choose to live my life. But not everybody grows up that way. And so all you can do is just share information, share experiences. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and we'll get into this in a, a more in more details, because I would love to talk to you about this as as a Republican, you know, I really would. Because it's like, oh, but what about you? Are you a Democrat? I usually vote Democrat, but am I a Democrat? Uh, no, I mean, I, there's so many things in the Democratic Party that I disagree with, you know, so it's like you it's also like finding that place, whatever the hell that is politically, do we even have to find that place that some sometimes I think about those things too. But anyway, um, I've noticed that those things are also manipulated on both sides sometimes, you know, it's like some people will hide behind hide behind that Republican shield with their ideas, but I sure. don't necessarily believe that that's what re- the Repub- the original Republican Party stands for. Same thing with Democrats. They'll hide behind that shield, but that's not really what it stands for, whatever the hell it stands for, you know? So <laughs> I'd love to have this conversation with you in more detail, maybe in a next sure. podcast, please. It would that be sounds great. great. Well, we'll get you on the schedule to come back. Okay. 
So since Great. lunch is approaching three more minutes, perhaps let's, we could just let's do it. Yeah. Cut it okay. here and then we'll pick up. We are uh, cut. We're cutting here and we'll pick up later. Absolutely. Okay, Samra. Thank you, Thank you for Thank coming you. on today. My pleasure. My pleasure. And I really mean that. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome.